0: Politics Podcast, the show for normal Americans. On this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed.
1: Well, the story broke not long ago. It's the eve of the weekend here uh, and so there was a period of silence and then suddenly, uh, just a couple of minutes ago, the head of the Civil Aviation Authority uh, has publicly come out and said that's simply not true. Uh, the Iranian uh, Revolutionary Guard affiliated website has furthermore said this is a conspiracy uh, that's being cooked up by the opposition and Iran's enemies. Uh, originally, the Iranian Civil Aviation Authority said we know that the plane was on fire when it turned back and we say it was a catastrophic mechanical failure. The Ukrainians shortly after that said we are considering four possible uh, causes for this crash so they weren't buying the mechanical error uh, explanation right off the bat and one of the things they were going to consider was that there had been either a terrorist attack or a missile. Now the uh, Ukrainian investigators are going to be here on the ground for the moment uh, the Iranians have both black boxes from the aircraft one of them is damaged the Ukrainians will have access to them says Iran and and they may possibly be handed over uh, but it does appear to be to the extent that the Iranians and the Ukrainians will be involved there will be an international uh, investigation.
2: And welcome back to flavor Politics Podcast. It's the thirteenth of January, year of our Lord twenty twenty, and decided to go early. A lot of stuff. Big long podcast. We started out with it's just a mistake, those poor Iranians, they're just being mean. They wouldn't really shoot down an airplane. Yeah, they did. Just opposed with our media ignoring the down with dictators. Yeah. Down with dictators. They're, they're rioting in Iran, very little coverage on any network, because we're too busy doing American propaganda. So we're going to do a full show today, it's very long, it's got some Iran, it's got some GOP hate, we're doing our college crazy gay shit, everything's racist, liberal shit, it's long, but I would remiss if I did not play the following soundbite before we get into the heavy shit.
3: off to start the day. Jones! What a beginning on the ground for Aaron Jones. He gets 23. Right tackle for Bulaga, who as Aaron mentioned is sick. Play action. Rogers keeps out to his right. Throws Adams. First down and more. Third down and eight. Rogers. Pass caught. First down Jimmy Graham. Just be physically better than everybody they faced. Hand off to Jones, and a big play is made by Clowney. Third down and seven. Rodgers backs up, throws. Adams touchdown. Green Bay. This is a place where he has not won. 0-3 career at Lambeau, throws, pass, caught, and a nice tackle, ball's out. Hollister made the catch, and they're going to say that Jacob Hollister, it looked like the official walking in, will say he was down. Made the hit, let's take another look. Well, he's losing. Con- After review of the play, the runner did fumble the ball, however, there's no evidence of a clear recovery by the defense. Wilson has to step through. Throws on the run. Downfield incomplete. With Alexander defending D.K. Metcalf. I'll get into more of that, but it's definitely a strategy. Third down and nine. Rodgers out to his right. Has to get rid of it. Clowney. Wilson floats it. Has a man is caught Lockett. Third down and seven. Wilson throws. Pass incomplete for the tight end, Hollister. Myers knocks it through. I think this is a game where we have to look back and he has to have completed 70-75 percent of his passes. Keeps it here. Out to his left. Throws for Adams. Leading after one. Rodgers fakes it, throws it. Adams, he's been busy. Big play again into Seattle territory. Rodgers throws. Guess who? Inside the 35 and still breaking tackles to the 31. Blitz. Adams. Contact and a flag. Definitely a lot of contact on this route. There's the the push and the. And That's Jocelyn.
4: Defense.
5: 26. foul. Well,
3: Jones. He got there for the touchdown. Sure that Aaron Jones did break the plane before the knee touchdown much like philadelphia did last week only two first downs so far for seattle pass downfield and a big one caught by lockett that time seattle out thought themselves a little bit they could have had an easy completion out on the boundary here's a pass caught by metcalf his first catch Here's Wilson ducking the rush for a moment, but then brought down, and it's a Darius Smith again as Myers comes on to try it from 50. Missed it. it Steve Young. Here's Irvin on a toss, using his speed, taking it inside Seattle territory. pass caught Devontae Adams now for Aaron Rodgers Lazard is headed into the locker room here's one out on the edge catch is made Clowney on the tackle and a flag on the tackle of Sternberger personal foul down the helmet opening defense take a look at it and Keeping them out of the end zone. They, they need to come up with a stop on this possession. Here's Jones. Nice cut. Jones. Touchdown, Packers. So it's time for them to get something going. Wilson maneuvers in the pocket, throws a laser. Second down and six. Clark can't bring down Russell Wilson until now. the Wilson avoids him, but he comes back and makes the play. Wilson takes off right up the middle and will get a first down into Green Bay territory with 17 seconds left and counting. I'll hurry up and get this ball clocked they got to understand, there. there is safety. <laughs> Wilson going to air it out and go for it all. End zone and incomplete. Started at left guard for Seattle with a concussion. Russell Wilson on third down, going to run for it, and there he goes. Exactly what Seattle needed. Takes it inside the Green Bay 45. Fullback in the game, Nick Ballore. Play action here yet again. Pass is high. What a good catch by Metcalf. Pass is caught by Hollister. And he almost got the first down with that last run. They roll out. Pass is caught. Lock it. Just short... Off of that play action to Lynch. Awfully close to a touchdown. Lynch is in for the score. Lockett came close and Lynch able to reach across. Rogers down the middle. Jimmy Graham for the first down to the 45. wide open, Adams makes the catch, makes a move sprinting for the end zone (laughs) Wilson flips it pass caught, lock it Good protection. Homer out of the backfield makes the catch and gets about 10. Wilson, another rushing first down and more as he slides to the 7. First down and goal. Wilson throws, passes, caught for the touchdown. Lock it. Rodgers throws, pass knocked away. Bobby Wagner. Packers came across, free play, lock it, oh, gets hit and hangs on. Second down and 11. Pass is caught, Metcalf lunging for a first down. has been able to get loose. Wilson throws, pass is caught, Hollister. Wilson keeps, steps up, throws, caught by Homer, able to stop his momentum and set up first and goal. Second and goal, Lynch is in for the touchdown. Wilson dropped. Alexander coming off the corner. Blitz again. Pass is caught by Allison for the first down. Rodgers keeps. Flag on the play. Rodgers carries. And then gets he is a tough man to handle he is right here with his hand in the ground third down and nine blitz sack play made by Shakeem griffin this team never feels like they're not going to come out victorious wilson out to his right throws pass is caught for a first down first down seattle good protection pass is dropped at the bottom, but still well, there's room to work if you trust Metcalf. They're down and five. Russell Wilson is sacked by Preston Smith. Rodgers keeps and now has to throw it away as he's chased by Clowney and that stops the clock with 2.19 left. Third down and eight. Pass to Adams. What a throw and catch! What a play! What a time for it!
6: Five
5: four. Five five four. Three eight. Three eight.
3: Rogers throws, passes, caught Jimmy Graham! First down! There's another angle and look at it and...
7: After review of the play, the ruling of the field stands. His call.
2: Oh, my beloved Packers! Thanks to my daughter, who's in Vegas right now, who gave me the final score. I did my usual traditional thing. I didn't wear any Packer stuff. I didn't watch the game. I didn't check on the game. I had people saying yay to me, but I did not pay attention. At eleven o'clock, or it's actually eleven thirty when I get up to pee because I'm an old man. It just seems invariably that's the time. Here's a text, we won 28-23, good game, now we're on to San Francisco who beat us like a Reddit stepchild, but we'll get on that towards our next podcast, so let's get into it. If you hear some humming in the background, I have a heater in here now because it's cold as hell where I live and I've been freezing in the basement, I don't want to start a fire and the other heater took too long, so sorry for the hum. There'll be a little hum behind me for a while. Then we'll shut it off. So, Yashir Ali kind of starts us off, and I think it sums it up well. This AM, I woke up to dozens of messages of family and friends in Iran. Right now, Iran is a tinderbox internally. As some of you know, there are protests mostly around the anger that Iranians feel towards the government after they admitted they shot down the aircraft. Iranians who are protesting and all the family friends I spoke to live in different parts of Iran are furious. They were lied to for three days about the cause of the plane crash. The Iranian government lied left and right about where the plane was headed. What brought down the plane... The Iranian government completely mishandled the plane crash, destroying evidence of the process. Iranians are in street calling for death to the Supreme Leader, something that could get them executed. Makes our protesters in pink vagina hats throwing glitter and screaming about the president literally being Hitler seem really silly, right? Iranians are in the street calling for prosecutions, saying Sole- Soleimani is a murderer, telling Leadership of the Iranian government to resign and saying Trump isn't the problem that the Iranian government is. To say that their protesters are brave is an understatement. Trump isn't the problem. But we've been informed by the left, traditional media, most of Hollywood, that Trump is, in fact, to blame for everything. Nearly two months ago, Iran massacred hundreds, at least, and up to 1,500 of citizens in the street for protesting against gas prices. People in the street are taking an enormous risk, not only by protesting, but by saying what they're saying in the protest. I'm told there will be expanded protests Sunday night in Iran. These things are always subject to change. So the question is, what kind of support are the Iranian people to get from the external world? Yesterday I tweeted this thread and was criticized by liberals who are intent on blaming the plane crash on Trump. As I note in my thread, the idea that he's blamed for a decision the IRGC made is just absurd. And while Iranians aren't a monolith and there are 80 million people in Iran, you don't see Iranians blaming Trump for the crash in which Iranian citizens were killed. They're blaming the IRGC and the supreme leader. I've gone through some of the most active and prominent liberal Twitter accounts, and none of them mentioned Iran protests today. These same people are actively tweeting about wanting to avoid war and attacking Trump for the decision. And and that's why I tweeted this earlier today. In this context, Iranians are being used by certain people on the left, I didn't say all, as a tool to attack Trump. But these same people don't seem to care to the support their right to protest. It's just a tool. It seemed to me the protests were inconvenient for some of these folks today. They were placing the blame on Iranian leadership who lied repeatedly about what happened. They weren't blaming President Trump, so it wasn't worth it to bring attention and support them. This happens often with people living in authoritarian states and with certain religious ethnic groups. We're used to as tools to push domestic political agendas. We're told what to feel and think by people with no connection to our country and have no idea what they're talking about. Buck Sexton. One would think that journos would be in frenzy to cover the Iranian protests and give additional reach to their yearning for freedom. But would that hurt Trump, though? No. No, it doesn't. So they don't really care much. Owning Trump, so much bigger deal for them. But this is the left. This is our media. Two servicemen were killed in Afghanistan when vehicle hits IED. Where do you think that IED came from? And then they're running in Illinois, this lady, this lady, Amy Meck, meet Amina Matthews, a Democratic candidate for U.S. House of Representatives in Illinois. Matthews is the daughter of an Islamic terrorist and a gangster spending 168 years in prison for terrorism. Matthews herself was a gang member.
8: Greetings. I'm Amina Matthews. I'm running for the 1st Congressional District. Please visit our website, aminaforcongress.org. I need you guys to donate. I need you guys to stop by the page as well to see about our events, where we're going, and how we're going to move forward to make the first congressional district first. Donations is important. We have to move this district with donations. Stop by, visit, and fill out the the volunteer list. And I'm Amina Matthews for Congress. Thank you.
2: That's the left. That's who they are. They side with them. Hogan Gidley, a secretary, deputy press secretary. Soleimani was, in fact, planning imminent attacks while Democrats and media quibble over its definition. Quick point. When Obama killed Bin Laden, al-Awlaki, and Gaddafi without congressional approval, there was no imminent attack, and Democrats did not care. Jake Tapper immediately said this. "Gaddafi wasn't killed by the U.S. It might have been best to leave Kidley claiming about Gaddafi alone, but journalism in the Trump era doesn't allow that. Hashir Amargi, things not to do. Don't be a journalist and an activist at the same time. That's good advice. Because when Barack was U.S. president after Gaddafi was killed, this is what Jake Tapper tweeted. Official OBL, Waki and Gaddafi have all met their demise in some fashion because of decisions made By President Obama. Other tweets. Chadwick Redmine. U.S., NATO, and French officials said traditional government fighters captured Gaddafi convoy after French warplanes, and U.S. drone forced it to halt. They were claiming he did it. The media was touting it during election season. Do you remember? Steve Guest sums it up. The Obama administration took a victory lap, taking credit for Gaddafi. Dennis, Qaddafi wasn't killed by Obama. Also, Obama killed Qaddafi. But that's our journalists. They forget that you know we can go back to see what you said. So how this all broke wasn't that the Iranians did the right thing? There was a video that leaked out of Iran. And understand for liberals out there who just like that, Ali Yasher Ali said, wear the pussy hats and say they live in a you know fascist state and. You know, you got fucking Molly Hemingway this week. Not Molly Hemingway. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's her name. No, it's... uh, Who's that freaking wench? Um, I didn't get the damn tweet. Maggie Haberman. Sorry, that's a liberal, not a conservative. She's saying how the, the Trump administration is so threatening to fucking uh, journalists again. Oh, really? You can say whatever you want about Trump. Nothing's going to happen to you. These people are in Iran get executed for saying shit. See, that's the thing is, liberals don't know this shit. Me and the wife did a whole Liberty Hangout and college reform yesterday on YouTube because it's a new app they put on um, Dish, and so you don't have to go to your Roku. The amount of net lack of knowledge is, is scary because they just don't know. They didn't know anything about Salami. They didn't know who he was. All they know is they're, they're supposed to be good liberals and hate Trump, so everything has to be bad. But back to my point... This was leaked, which was at the detriment of the le- life of this person who took it. And you see the missiles hit it. You see the plane trying to turn back, and you see the plane crash. So, Finally, Iran military admits shooting down Flight 752, citing human error. And that's about all I could get on it. That's what came out. BuzzFeed. They still after this was released, was running this, because you'll see almost all the media was still spinning for Iran. Literally, Iran. Young newlyweds, college students, and entire families are being remembered after dying in a plane crash. Logan Dobson. Plane crash? My God, will the media ever stop covering for the goddamn Ayatollah? Folks like this guy have obviously never worked in a newsroom before and don't understand what a big reason for neutral writing like this, especially at major publications, is a lack of independent verification to avoid lawsuit, etc. You could call it a plane shot down without assigning blame if you wanted to be as neutral as possible. But a plane did not crash. To say it did is untrue. The plane crashed or it was hit. To say the plane crashed is absolutely factual. This is sort of like reporting someone being shot as dying due to a crashing into the ground. JFK died after he was hit. To say if JFK died is absolutely factual. Jared Holt, the plane crasher was hit. To say the plane crashed is absolutely factual. That's what he tried to do. J Messiah, you're a fucking lying shit stain. <laughs> We're gonna play Jackie Spear in a second because they still wanna blame it. The lead, CNN, Ukrainian Airline, needs to explain why it allowed flights just hours after Iran fired missiles. So now it's Ukraine's fault for flying. Rob, wow, looking for someone other than Iran to blame? That didn't take very long. Are we victim-blaming? Who was in charge of the Iranian airport that allowed the plane to take off, right, when Iran was shooting off missiles? Is it just me or CNN blaming the flight for walking around the wrong neighborhood at night in a skirt that's a little too short. Isn't that true? Peak blame the victim. And it goes on and on. Iran gave flight departure approval. Iran killed 176 passengers with SAMs. I can think of a few others who need to explain some things before I'd ask the victim. Yasher Ali. European commercial airliners like Air. Air France and Lufthansa, Luth- there we go, let's say it in English, flew in and out of Iran during the Iran-Iraq war every day for nine years. I was on nine flights during the war in uh, Tehran. There were never any issues for nine years. Ukraine isn't to be blamed. Another one. I lived in Baghdad, Iraq, during the Iran-Iraq war and flew Air France planes every six months to Paris and back for medical treatment Four of the eight years the war lasted. Your comments are heinous and erroneous because Americans didn't shoot it down I tried to find a soundbite of when the U.S. actually shot down an Iranian jack remember that? we actually did it and it was under a Democrat and it was okie dokie artichoke but here's Jackie Spears this is what the left's allowed to do and Wolf Blitzer doesn't even for a second go Uh, Are you blaming the President of the United States? And I want to start uh, with this plane crash. Uh, Have you been briefed on it? Because it certainly sounds like it was a mistake by the Iranians. Do you think they assumed this was some sort of U.S. military plane?
9: Well, I have been briefed on it, Wolf, in the Intelligence Committee, so I'm not really at liberty to say. But uh, if what is being projected is true, uh, this is yet another example of collateral damage ...from the actions that have been taken in a provocative way by the President of the United
2: States. If this wasn't Iran, I would be like... I don't want to use the word heaven because it's a horrible thing to say about this. But I would be, like, pumped up. Like, look, at this is everything I talk about. How the media will do anything to cover for Dems and do anything to bash a Republican... And we even get into the military is fucked up and ignore the military. I mean, it's everything I say about the left in one microcosm, one example. It just breaks down the steps they will go to to protect Democrats. But it's Iran, a terrorist state that has killed, maimed, wounded Americans since 2001. Was coddled by a president who had more alignment with radical Islam than America because he was one of those people and I'm not saying he was a Muslim I'm saying he felt it was our fault they only blow other ethnicities of Islam up because America's so fucking bad I mean that's the way he looked at it we were to be blamed for everything wrong in the world including the reason why you couldn't get a good burger at Burger King that's who he was so we coddled him And we allowed them to get where they are. We've paid them money. And, of course, when we get later on the show, when the right starts saying, well, our money paid for those missiles, Jesus Christ, that is so inappropriate. Talk about the President of the United States. But right now, we're blaming him for everything. AP, this is insane. Sickening. Imagine having a family member on the plane. What began with the drone attack on top Iranian general rippled outward until dozens of Iranian Canadians and dozens of Iranian students studying Canada were dead. An Iranian general dies in U.S. attack. And innocents suffer. That's what they said. S.D. Winkler, it all started with the drone strike, says AP. Before that, never mind. I believe you meant to say what began with an assault on the American embassy. Began with the drone strike? No, it began with Soleimani. He began blowing up Americans with EFP IEDs. He killed about 800 of the main hundreds more, including men I know. The AP take... Here is Vile. Katie Pavlich. The headline is completely garbage. Iran shot down commercial airliner in their country without their, within their borders hours after missile strike in U.S. and Iraq. Two, U.S. didn't send missiles into Iran. Three, Iran's solely responsible shoot-down, which they're lying about and covering up. Sarah Rao is a blue check. Uh, her bio, that she's a former congressional candidate in Colorado, and her her pronouns are she, her, and hers. He's also a first-generation Indian American who has a lot of problems with white people, especially white women. We've covered it on the show. On Thursday, she managed to rack up 3,000 likes, tweeting that Trump murdered every single person on the Iranian or Ukrainian airliner. Every single one of the 176 passengers on Ukrainian plane that went down was murdered by Donald Trump. We have to start calling a thing a thing and stop pretending that this man in America are not the biggest terrorist in the world will give her points for originality for not claiming the flight was caught in the non-existent crossfire, which is another thing they're about to go into. But this makes even most TDS afflicted Democrats look sane. So first Trump assassinated Soleimani, and then he assassinated 176 people. Ed Jackson, May 2019, Iran attacks oil tanker. June 2019, Iran shoots down U.S. drone. July 2019, Iran sees the British tanker. September 2019, Iran attacks Saudi oil company. December 2019, Iran storms U.S. embassy. January 2020, U.S. kills a top Iranian general. January 2020, they shoot down a passenger plane. Somebody asks her, Donald Trump fired the Iranian missile in Tehran during an Iranian rocket offensive targeting U.S. bases. Wow, he's pretty good. It is hard with all the competition to say the single dumbest thing on Twitter on a given day. You may have just done that. Pete Butleg. Innocent civilians are now dead because they were caught in the middle of an unnecessary and unwanted military tit-for-tat. My thoughts are with the families and loved ones of 176 souls lost aboard. Andrew Egger. This is lunacy. If today's reporting is true, innocent civilians were caught in the middle of anything between the U.S. and Iran. They were shot down by Iran full stop david frum trump disclaims all response disclaims all responsible for the lives yet lost on ua 552 it's not that simple or that easy jennifer rubin it's really not except it is jennifer Andrew Egger again. The Soleimani attack was a targeted strike that took place in Iraq. Iran's responded with missile strikes, then got panicky and shot down one of their own passenger airlines. Is America present in this chain of casualties? Of course, but let's not get cute. What I'm hung up on is that the U.S. took exactly zero military actions that night and has not previously carried out strikes in Iran at all. That Iran feared they would and got jumpy enough to shoot down a civilian airline Makes them accountable. Sorry, it was all garbled. Jennifer Rubin again. After all the rhetoric for Trump and especially for Pompeo, I think any country would be jumpy. I'll bet one of the options for the U.S. was targeted inside Iran. You bet, because you're a military leader. AG conservative. These people are seriously broken. They have no ability for logical thinking. Their only framing is Trump is bad and anti-Trump is good. Even if it means siding with pure evil. Ian Bremer, U.S. intelligence now saying Iranian missiles took down Ukrainian civilians. Such a tragedy. Ukraine caught in the crossfire yet again. With so many missiles flying on Iran that night, this comes as no surprise. Look at who got up in the crossfire of revenge. What a horror and shame. These are images that really tell a story of our children caught in the crossfire conflict. They inherit from us. And there's a bunch of journalists that went over there and took pictures of shoes. Heidi Przbosky. 176 people died that night. Now we know it's at the minimum related to the crossfire. Nowhere do I blame Trump, so back off. We continue not to know the full ramifications. Ann Applebaum. The Tehran plane caught in the terrible sickening twist of fate ukraine once again sucked into a geopolitical conflict created by others along with ukrainian canadian and other passengers caught like the mh-17 passengers in the crossfire josh marshall civilians get caught in the crossfire jim clancy caught in the middle the crossfire is correct susan Hennessy: 176 completely innocent lives killed in the crossfire it's like all of them got together and somebody asked, "Jeff Sucker did Jeff Zucker tell these people to all tweet out the word crossfire on purpose?" I mean, was it was it a meeting? Did Media Matters send it out? That's our media. Rolling Stones, Ryan Bort, was writing a piece that had to make Secretary of State Mike Pompeo out to be a bad guy, and so it became the Al Baghdadi suicide, became a military strike that killed two children. Matt Walking, ISIS leader, Al Baghdadi dragged his own children down a dead end tunnel before American troops could reach him. He blew him up himself and his kids. Yesterday, Rolling Stone Ryan Bort described it as a military strike. The results in the death of two children. Mike Pompeo Mike Pompeo had a fun year with his dog drone strikes and Linda Ronstadt. What's unsettling about Pompeo Street Friday morning isn't how he attempts to troll Ronstadt or whatever he's trying to do. It's how flippantly he lumped pictures of his dog and family and favorite singer, songwriter, in with a military strike that resulted in the death of two children and the assassination of a senior foreign official that could have been very easily and still could lead to a war with a nation of 80 million. To the Trump administration, it's all a game. And every reckless geopolitical action they're able to chalk up as a win on Fox News is fodder for corkboard memory collage regardless of human toll. So he put out a year in review picture that probably was created by Twitter because I got like eight from fucking Facebook. And they troll him. New York Times blames Trump for plane drowning, or downing. a Wednesday before dawn, uh, missiles, da 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 fighting release American-Canadian governments. Most analysts consider the immediate conflict start to have come in May 2018 when Trump withdrew from the Iran nuclear accord. See, this is what it comes down to, if you really think about it. The deep overriding thing is not, it, it, A, it's own Trump conservatives, B, he is undoing Obama's great nuclear deal that accomplished absolutely nothing. I mean, before Obama was out of office, there were already images of them saying, fuck you, we're going to keep making nuclear shit. That was already out of the bag. When President Trump withdrew from Iran nuclear accord, imposed crushing sanction on Iran and issued a series of maximalist demands. Also on Friday was a story by Jennifer Steinhauer touting veterans weary and wary of embarking on another war in the Middle East. Steinhauer quoted one veteran who feels the dark echo of Iraq, with the journalist adding her own analysis, America's skepticism about employing military force, once derided by some as unpatriotic, is much more on display even amongst veterans who may have directly faced the lethal danger that Iran presents in the Middle East. Baffling considering the times fretted over why so few supported invading Libya when Obama sent US forces there. The paper faulted Americans for being more interested in the NCAA basketball tournament and having compassion fatigue. Thursday's front page also contains David Sanger's news out, new analyst, a president mixed message unsettled more than reassured um, the jump page text box warned misunderstandings could prove to be as dangerous as missiles the front page of the Wednesday paper featured Peter Baker's own analysis messy hasty and impulsive a bumper car presidency keeps even allies on the l- edge because they got oh he's just terrible at foreign policy this is not how Obama did it so you know if this is just a few articles and a few tweets. Our media was on this. Here is the blame Trump montage. It could be an hour worth, but it's just a few minutes.
0: Surrounded by his top military commanders in the grand foyer of the White House, President Trump seemed to declare victory. The president announced the U.S. would retaliate for last night's attacks with more sanctions, not strikes.
10: These powerful sanctions will remain until iran changes its behavior
0: he blamed that behavior on the unfounded claim that the obama era nuclear agreement enabled iran to build up its military arsenal
10: the missiles fired last night at us and our allies were paid for with the funds made available by the last administration.
0: And there is backlash to this comment about his predecessor, former President Barack Obama.
10: The missiles fired last night at us and our allies were paid for with the funds made available by the last administration.
0: That's a reference to Iran's money that was unfrozen as a part of the Iran nuclear deal, a deal negotiated by former President Obama and ripped up by President Trump Today, a former top Obama official firing back. This is
9: another series of despicable lies by President Trump. I was thinking for the, for the very first time, um, I, I feared for my children um, in terms of war. Oh, what is the national interest? What
11: is the Middle East a safer place now? Mm-hmm. Are that we in a better like place it. now? And so we have, to, we have to ask these very serious questions. And I don't know that history will say that killing this
9: terrorist... What's the right move? When we have to take comfort in the fact that Iran is not disproportionately responding to the actions of our right. president, we are in a really precarious situation because it's our president then that who is being the the provocative person. But he's and Iran is the one that's right. showing he's, the restraint. He's when this. we should be cry, showing restrain. restraint. I-
2: that's to be expected. But in earnest, it now becomes, well, why would we trust the media? It's a little bit last podcast. Now we're all into the military, the media. Why would we, why would we trust intelligence now? Because we're supposed to trust them when it's Democrat shit, but it's Republican shit. Why would we trust them? Marine vet lawmaker tells military to question the orders they're given by Trump. A lawmaker who earned a Bronze Star during combat in Iraq as a Marine officer is denouncing Trump foreign policy as rudderless and calling on active-duty military officers to question the orders they're getting from the commander-in-chief. Seth Moulton, a Massachusetts dam and former presidential candidate who ended his White House in August, made the remarks in a speech at the Atlantic Council on Tuesday. Uh, get into the part. If there is intelligence that shows the strike prevented a new and imminent threat to America, I have yet to see it, he said. Well, you don't have a clearance for it, so you probably wouldn't. Um, I fought in a war a president started because of cooked and false intelligence. We cannot let this administration repeat the mistake. The Pentagon has joined the White House in describing the proposed, purported attack plan as imminent. Defense Secretary Esper told reporters it was accurate to describe it as days away as time of Soleimani's death. Moulton, a long-time outspoken critic of Trump policy's decisions, has publicly voiced concerns with the decision to kill Soleimani. I do not mourn for this man who is directly responsible for some 600 American deaths in Iraq, a few of whom were my friends, he said. But it's not that simple. It was telling that of every fellow veteran who texted me the night he was killed, not one celebrated his death. Though they too, I'm sure, would rather much have him a dead than alive. They said, "What the hell's going on here?" And please tell me where there's a plan. Sadly, I've seen no evidence that there is. And for those members of our military and the chain of command here in Washington overseas, look very carefully at every order given to you by this president. It is our duty to make sure everything done in the name of the United States military is lawful and the burden falls on us. We have an opportunity to call our military officers around the world to bring new scrutiny to their sworn oath to obey lawful orders and only lawful orders. That is dissension. Under Obama, the media would ask for his removal. He would be relieved if he was a military officer. You would not be able to do this. But here's a congressperson actually telling the military to do it. Another one. Uh, randos on Twitter, because the person using the account may or may not be saying they are, but whether a tweet or thread is either just that good or just that bad, we must make an exception. Like this repugnant thread for Michael Kingsbury crapping all over the military. The biggest babies in the world are the U.S. Army soldiers who I pay to feed and clothe and wipe their ass because they don't go out and get a real job. The more they come home in body bags from this global subjugation mission, the better I pay for their homes and babies. Mike Kingsbury, at Celtic Films. He continues, then we have these sob stories. Oh, they couldn't find jobs, so they had to join the military. Not on my dime, they don't. Tough shit. Go get a job. Being a soldier is a job, and when they've served the country, we owe them. This is not difficult, somebody said. Oh, that's right. They aren't joining to go overseas. They're joining to be paid by by me to sit on their asses here in the States and raise little, cute, stupid, globalist families. Stacy... This anti-Semitic, anti-military, anti-American jerk timeline is full of anti-Semitic tweets. There's a category for that. Go to work. Mike Kingsbury again. What's amusing is that Annapolis they teach you discipline. All I'm seeing in this thread is a lack of discipline. Somebody checked out his so-called movies and they seem just about as awful as the guy who made them. Chad Prather. You make must make tens and tens of dollars. After all the gulag-filled genres where it's at, attention is a hell of a drug. Better men than you lie beneath those flags. You are offensive, and you can thank men like my son for that right. Young men and women will volunteer and forfeit their lives, protect your freedoms, even after you petulant tirade, because God bless them. That's what American service members do. I challenge you to stand nose-to-nose with just one of those big babies. Tell them they aren't doing a great job. And then you hope they come home in a body bag. I don't think you have half the courage it would take to do that, which is a fraction of the courage they have daily. We're going to guess Kingsbury wouldn't be tough if he came face-to-face with the big babies. Siri, show me the biggest piece of human garbage on Twitter. Siri, I found Mike Kingsbury. Of course, Mr. Tough Guy protected his account. so You can't see any of his tweets. But why is this even allowed on Twitter? I hope they come home in body bags. Isn't that a violation of Twitter term of service? Oh, it would be if you were saying it about Antifa or Iranians. Yeah. But it was was catching. Because the left is anything but predictable. Anything but predictable. It comes out every time there's a Republican. You start hearing this anti-military rhetoric and... They're unskilled pieces of shit. I pay for their little globalist family. And Armenia was all in on why would we believe the administration? Why would we believe the military? Tonight at the edge of war, the US and Iran now backing off.
12: And tonight, the new images inside the attack. Iran launching missiles targeting two bases housing the US military in Iraq. Did Iran intentionally miss US troops? Tonight, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs saying otherwise, now saying Iran did intend to kill personnel. And late today, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs saying Iran did intend
13: to kill personnel, that that was his opinion. Newly released satellite images revealing the scale of damage. This is what the base looked like only last month, and this is what it looks like now. The damage to structures clearly visible. A U.S. official confirming Iran firing nearly two dozen ballistic missiles on at least two U.S. targets, but incredibly, no U.S. or Iraqi casualties. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff believes the goal of the strikes was to kill.
3: They were intended to uh, cause structural damage, uh, destroy vehicles and equipment and aircraft, and to kill personnel.
12: So let's get right to Ian Panel with us live tonight again from Iraq. And Ian, you know there has been a lot of talk about whether Iran intentionally missed targets, whether that was a tactical decision on their part.
13: Yes, I think many feel it's possible, not just in the lack of accuracy, but also the sites that were chosen, because there are many other bases the Iranians could have targeted to inflict mass casualties and maximum damage, but that would have forced a significant U.S. retaliation. However, the Pentagon doesn't see it like that. They're insisting this was an attack designed to kill American troops.
14: Vice President Mike Pence just said, Dana, he just said on a different morning show
0: that they have the intelligence to support that Iran fired those missiles intending to kill Americans how can we trust that that it, what he's
14: saying there since they have presented none of the intelligence to the American public and many of the lawmakers who've seen it are, dismiss the intelligence as being woefully scant
15: not just that uh, I've seen reporting including especially at CNN that says the opposite that what Iran was doing was and, and you heard Clarissa talk about it she's there she's on the ground that it looked and you see how it's a kind of a wasteland where where they are and where uh, where the missiles hit. That they intended to send a message and not to to kill anybody to de-escalate. Um, so, if they are saying that, uh, that will be important to back up. But it's it's curious that he would say that because it's the opposite of the message that the president and everybody else from the administration were trying to send yesterday, which is, reel it back, reel it back.
12: We I mean, even on your network we've seen the. Um Uh, The video of the prior attack that's happened on the Baghdad embassy—we all watched the flames and the the smoke that was boiling out of the embassy in Baghdad as a result of the attack that occurred there. So I don't think uh, reporting or even speculating on what Iran has been threatening. I mean, you know, Iran itself. Continues to have even its entire parliament chant death to America. It's not as if it's a surprise that yeah. Iran has been coordinating and targeting American yeah. interests throughout the Middle well,
16: East. I will say, I will say, I was I was in Tehran when they were chanting death to America once. I was at a rally. The people couldn't have been more friendly to me personally as an American. It, it sort of felt like a. It felt like a thing and a trope as opposed to anything that actually was seriously meant and considered. Well, I understand and, you your know, point, Aaron, but having been there, my experience Right, was Aaron, quite
12: your entire life, um, I, I ran pretty much your entire life, just by a few years, has chanted death to America. And, I, and they have taken actions against Americans, American interests, um, and in in ways that that are lethal, killing Americans, uh, giving weaponry to people who have intentions and who do kill Americans. So it, it's not just a slogan. Uh, this obviously is something that Iran has systematically continued to do. It's part of their uh, yes. seeking weapons of mass destruction in mm-hmm. their their uh, claim to want to wipe Israel off the, the face of the earth. Uh, these are real threats from the leadership of Iran, even though, and I'm, I'm glad you had a safe and a... Uh, warm response. The people on the street may be different than those who are controlling uh, their military. And that but is true.
16: Because one- you just said something remarkable, that you believe that Iran
11: was shooting to kill, trying to go after U.S. forces. You've also said in previous interviews that the U.S. did have some warning that these missiles were coming, and presumably intelligence. Was it incredibly risky for the U.S. to allow Iran, essentially, to take the shot? Former Minister Zarif said in a tweet that, that, that those missile attacks concluded its actions with regard to this matter. But are you are you confident that Iran is really done with this? Don't you think they're even more hungry for revenge now?
17: As you know, many other members of Congress have walked out of those briefings saying they didn't see anything new. They didn't see convincing evidence of an, of an imminent threat. Can you provide more convincing evidence to the public to convince them that there was indeed an imminent threat?
16: One might say that taking out Soleimani is like taking a baseball bat to a hornet's nest. And those hornets are Iranian proxies, proxy groups. Are you convinced that they won't come after Americans?
2: None of them will be held accountable this morning. Alice and Allison Camerata, none of them. Iran admitted it. I won't be surprised if I find, well, Iran only did it because they're better than we are. They just want to get it, they just want to de-escalate things. That's all Iran wants to do is de-escalate. But do you think if somebody on Fox said that they'd not be able to live it down? Hell, Brian Seltzer and... Chuck Todd will be talking about misinformation ecosystems. ABC did one. We'll get that in GOP hate. MSNBC host celebrates Iranian tax on American troops. Trump wagged the dog. Now the dog is wagging Trump. Lauren O'Donnell. We knew this. These threats of war crimes and mass murders by Iran make it most dangerous night in the history of American military in the Middle East. And the President of the United States has no idea what to say. White House says Trump won't make a statement. He literally speechless. So you are thinking the president would say something clarifying or reassuring about this night of worldwide confusion and fear, you were thinking of a different president. Soleimani was the head of the Iranian-Iranian-backed forces carrying out those operations killing American troops. During the Iraq War, according to the State Department, 70% of all deaths of U.S. personnel in Iraq but 2003 to 2011 worked straight by Soleimani. Somebody tweeted him that, but he didn't really care. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are hosting a conference call with a pro-Iran group, NIAC the day after Iran bombed our bases. The lobby group has close ties with Tehran and the Iranian government, whose side are the Democrat frontrunners actually on? That is a true article. It never made the paper. It's in that microcosm Chuck Todd talks about. Conservative media, they're just making it up. Reza Aslan, a piece of shit we've covered before. One thing you all need to know about Iranians before celebrating de-escalation is is that as a people, we never, ever forget a slight. I mean, never. Ben McDonald, Raisin Asher, feel like two different sides of a spectrum. Z-T-A, threatening the U.S. on behalf of Iran now? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we have Omar. Soundbite number one. This is after... The soundbite I played last podcast of her yucking it up about U.S. deaths and joking. She then gets to the mic, and I couldn't get the soundbite. And she has PTSD talking about it. RNC research. Ilya Omar laughs at jokes around her colleagues discuss U.S. casualties in Iraq. Like, did you forget you were being behind the primary speaker on national television? This perplexed Americans. What about the 4,400 dead is so funny, Omar? Or questions that we covered last time. Yulia Rosa, I asked Representative Omar what are responses of those calling out her support for BDS against Israel while criticizing sanctions against Iran. She says very different because BDS is by people while Iranian sanctions is by a government. Somebody says this excuse doesn't even make sense. Government sanctions against places like Iran are tailored to target specific people or industries. BDS requires that people boycott anyone even tangentially related to Israel, including private businesses and individuals. Another, I guess she never visited the official website, and in their official website of BDS... One of the main reasons that Israel is able to violate international law and commit crimes against Palestinians is because governments fail to meet their legal obligation to hold it account and provide Israel political and material support. So, basically, I don't have an answer. I just spin because I'm an anti-Semite Islamist.
16: Thank you, Ro. Um
18: I feel ill a little bit um, because of of everything that is taking place, and I think every time I hear about com- I hear of conversations around war, I find my myself um, being stricken with uh, PTSD, um, and I I find peace knowing that I I serve um, with great advocates for for peace and uh, and people who have shown courage against war thank
16: you the BDS
19: movement is uh, a movement
6: mm-hmm.
19: uh, that is
16: driven by the people mm-hmm. the sanctions on iran are sanctions that are being placed to create maximum pressure by a government that's very different okay.
2: that my friends is a piece of shit she's just as so much a piece of shit as hollywood article how are you coping not good trump iran standoff shakes hollywood Stephen King couldn't provide any support to U.S. troops or our country's interest in defense in the region. Just another unhinged condemnation of Trump. As networks frantically broadcast news about the missile strike, the Trump-obsessed novelist tweeted, Trump did this. It's all Donald Trump. Retweet if you agree. Rosie O'Donnell tried to find camaraderie in the night. Turbulence. She put out a pathetic tweet for her social media friends asking, Anxiety level? How are you coping? She later answered it, not good, going to binge The Crown, referring to the British period piece on Netflix. Rosanna Arquette responded to Rosie Crybaby tweet in true-to-TDS fashion, she claimed, try not to drown in fear, the thought of moron pressing the button. Documentary filmmaker Michael Moore lavished praise on Chris Hayes, who went all night fear-mongering that Trump was about to start a war in Iran. Something he bleated was... Madness and a disaster in the making. Bless you, Chris Hayes. And thank you, MSNBC, for broadcasting some powerful truths tonight. More groveled, adding, I don't think this has happened before where or on the first night of a strike against us, our free press has questioned everything. No. No, it hasn't happened. It It hasn't. Because it would be inappropriate if it was a Democrat, it would be un-American. Mia Farrow became conspiratorially suspicious during the night of Iran's retaliation, sharing news of tragedy of Ukrainian passenger jet. The tone-deaf ask, actress asked, "Did the U.S. have anything to do with this? Because did America kill 170 innocent people?" Is such a new, natural reaction? They just can't handle. They just can't handle it. He's doing the same things Obama done. And I think some of the reaction is acting because they go, well, fuck, we didn't say anything on Obama. We got him now. MSNBC was all in. Here's Maddo acting, almost crying, and Matthews, who said, assassinate 60 fucking times in one night about Soleimani.
20: President Trump uh, is in the middle of being impeached. He launched this airstrike that has set off this chain of events with Iran that include multiple ballistic missile strikes on U.S. targets inside Iraq tonight. He launched this series of events for reasons that remain unstated. There is no coherent explanation from the administration as to why, in the middle of his impeachment, he launched this airstrike. As Iranian missiles rain down on U.S. facilities in Iraq tonight, targeting thousands of U.S. troops, both Iran, our antagonist, and Iraq, our host and would-be ally, they both insist that U.S. forces must all get out of Iraq now. Now that we're in this this circumstance, all Americans have to get out. The Trump administration apparently acceded to that request as of yesterday. They're now trying to pretend that they didn't. And this honestly this honestly is a, is, a, is a mess. It's not like we've never been in national security messes as a country before, and particularly in this part of the world. In other national security crises, we try at least to count on or at least account for official statements from our government, right? Some guidance as to what's happening and why. We as a country have learned to be skeptical of the official line in times of war and peace. But with this administration in particular, do you pay attention to anything they say about what they're doing? Or in fact, what factually has occurred? Do you believe Mike Pompeo at the State Department? Do you believe Mark Esper at the Defense Department? Do you believe the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? Do you believe anybody who works in the White House? This crisis is all of our crisis now, regardless of who started it on our behalf. In terms of us doing our responsibility as citizens here, though, our ability to get information that we can believe from our own government has never been in more question in modern times. Our ability to responsibly engage with this crisis as informed citizens is now dependent on the fourth estate. We are going to need for this crisis in a way we've never quite needed before. We are going to need reporters on the ground, including in dangerous places and good journalism and American citizens respecting good journalism, standing up for it, because we are going to need to all be actively engaged citizens, paying close attention in a way that I'm not sure we have needed so desperately before in this cavalcade of crises that is this presidency.
4: and what about the president trump's ordering of the assassination of that top iranian general assassinated a top general in fact one of the most revered figures in the country of iran do you want to give the okay on an assassination and here we are in the assassination business they used to hide from assassination which is an assassination assassination or killing of a top general this looks more like an assassination assassinating assassinated we're going to assassinate somebody he said he wouldn't do this and should the u.s government be in the assassination business you shoot a guy you assassinate are we back to that to assassination tit for tat from assassination of a beloved general top general beloved beloved their beloved general assassinated one of the country's beloved heroes i don't think assassins ever look good why did they assassinate this general nobody should be allowed to assassinate and know who you're killing who you're assassinating that we should not be in the business of assassinating foreign leaders is this a march toward war a la john bolton in other words i don't care we'll assassinate
2: Every second of soundbite Day play shows the hypocrisy, the intellectual dishonesty, and the partisanship that is our media. None of this would be acceptable under Obama. If you did any of this under Obama, you were a racist on American piece of shit. If they even reported it. There's an individual that's and I am able to verify it, over 1,200 ISIS or uh, Al-Qaeda terrorist leaders were killed under Obama. I'm happy with every one of them. All in. Good for him. It's the only thing he ever did. I said it. The only thing he did during his tenure that I agreed with was his drone program. People said, well, Bush didn't care, and he didn't use it. It was new dipshits. Drones just showed up, and they didn't have all the capacities. They just got hellfires put on them at the end of my Afghanistan uh, gig, but it wasn't accurate, it was just some Jim Bob strapping to a wing, but our media would never have allowed this, I mean, if you even said this shit, you'd be fucked up, New York Times hypes master of Iran's intrigue Soleimani in an obituary. According to an article posted by Amber Athi, White House correspondent for the Daily Caller, the Times has repeatedly peddled Iranian propaganda in the aftermath of Donald Trump's strike on Soleimani. Correspondent noted the attacks began with a newspaper publishing an obituary of the leader of Iran's elite cuts force, where they called Soleimani a master of Iran's intrigue, and the headline before admitting the text that he was responsible for the deaths of hundreds of Americans. As if this was a positive remark, the obit added, the commander helped direct wars in Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, and Yemen, and he became the face of Iran's effort to rebuild a regional block of Shiite power. In Iran, many saw him as a larger-than-life hero, particularly within security circles. Anecdotes about his ascentism and quiet charisma joined to create an image of a warrior philosopher who became the backbone of a nation's defense against a host of enemies. But don't listen to our military now. That's what they're saying. The correspondents also know that the Times went on in another article to react with wonder of the crowds of people at the funeral. In another item, Liberality claimed throngs of people filled the streets of Tehran on Monday for the future of General Soleimani's Iran Supreme Leader. Atoya Ali was seen weeping and offering prayers. The General's funeral was attended by a broad swath of Iranians, including reformers, who opposed the government of President Hassan Rouhani, but were perceived, perceived the killing as an attack on Iran, as if it wasn't bizarre enough, the Times used its as the daily podcast to quote an Iranian student who said, knowing General Soleimani was out there made me feel safer. He was like a security umbre- umbrella above our country. I re it because that's our media. If you ever question that they aren't liberal, you just need to go back to it. This is Is who they are. They don't even pretend to be objective. All these articles about college professors saying you shouldn't be objective, when have they ever been objective? I ask anybody. They don't pick what they cover. No, more liberal, biased fucking producers and editors do, and they direct them on fuck conservatives, fuck Christians, fuck nuclear family, fuck the military. Fuck the GOP. Eight years of quiet. We don't do anything but look at the aura of the Masonic person that is Barack Hussein Obama. The dear leader. The man we worship. He makes us feel good about ourselves in America. And makes us feel like we're not part of a horrible country that is just a racist cesspool of white supremacist tiki torch hooded motherfuckers that nobody knows or can find. And then you get a GOP president, and every fucking military strike is inappropriate. Every decision is inappropriate. And they spin for Iran. So to a music break, we're going to play the Fugees, ready or not. It was stuck in my head the other day. And then we're going to come into some positives. We'll start with uh, Mark Meadows scorching the Dems.
6: Find you and take it slowly. Ready or not, oh. here I come. Oh. You can't hide. Gonna find you and make you yeah.
13: want me. Now that I escape, sleep, walk, or wait. Yeah. Those who come, yeah. but well, they know the world, they Jail bars ain't golden gates, those who fake they break. When they meet their 400 pound made, if I can rule the world, everyone would have them together, of course. We get the up and on their horse. Kick around, drinking moonshine. I pour a sip on the concrete. Putin the seat, but no, don't we? Why clefts in the state of sleep? Thinking about that I did last week. Money in the bag, banker look like a drag. I wanna play with pelicans from here to Baghdad. I think fast, I think I'm hit, my girl pinched my hips to see if I still exist. I think not. I'll send a letter to my friends. I'm born again, a again, only to be king again.
6: Ready or not, here I come, you can't hide, you're gonna find. Play my enemies like a game of chess where I rest. No stress, stress. don't smoke, bless. I must confess my destiny's manifest. This some text and sweats. I make tracks like I'm homeless. Rap orgies before the invest. Capture your bounty like and Ness. Yes, bless you if you represent the food, but I hex you with the witch's brew. If you do do voodoo, I could do what you do. Easy, leave me Fronten me. So while you imitate an Al Capone, I be needing bone. on your microphone. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find.
13: Refugees taking over the bottom
18: of our self.
13: On the 12 hour, fly by in my mama. So for trouble, I didn't under push it on Super fly. Two lies do a guy. I only fly with my booth from
7: like
6: high. I refugee from quite a baby. That's around the border like I'm cash.
13: Ready
6: or not? Yeah. Here I come. You can't hide.
0: Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reid.
10: thank the gentleman for yielding. I never thought that I would hear on this House floor an apology to the Iranian people for an action that we took that was justified taking out our terrorists. I cannot believe it. And yet we just heard that on this House floor. We have a gentleman who gave his legs in service to this country, and yet we're apologizing to the Iranians? With a non-binding resolution that is nothing more than a press release, Madam Speaker, It has no effect. It doesn't do anything. In fact, the Supreme Court says that. They know that. All they're doing is trying to get a press release to keep them from having a primary opponent. This is sad, a sad, sad day. And yet here we are having another speech to try to take on the President of the United States for actually taking out a terrorist. I would ask my colleagues opposite How many Americans does a terrorist have to kill before they join with us? Is 600 not enough? Does it have to be 1,000, 10,000, a million? At some point, we have to stand up and let the long arm of justice go in and take out these terrorists. I'm here to tell you today that this non-binding resolution, indeed, they want to talk about their constitutional requirement. Well, check with the Supreme Court. In 1983, they ruled that this has no effect. At least our senators opposite, they know that. It has to be a joint resolution. And yet, what is this vehicle normally designed for? For soapbox derbies. Well, at least that accomplishes something. All this does is emboldens our enemies to suggest that the American people are divided. But I'm here to tell you that we are not divided. We are a safer country because of the actions of this president, the decisive actions of this president and our military. And more importantly than that, this War Powers Act that got passed, it was a message that came out of a difficult time. But I want the message to be clear today. We are standing behind our military men and women. We have their back and we will not yield. They can't stand behind the
2: American soldiers. They fucking hate them. Even over Obama, they hated him. Multiple articles, I'm not going to read them. It's not Trump's foreign policy. It's Obama's that got to here. I wax poetic and ranted and freaked out on this show enough. I I trust my listeners literally understand how feckless we were in the Middle East, and that's where we got where we are. Sympathy for the devil. Lefty journalism mourned death of Soleimani. put this in the positives, because this... Just puts it all together. Molly Williams, CBS This Morning. There are fears of the killing of Salami, a revered finger in Iran, and some other place in the Middle East could see simmering tensions between the U.S. and Iran turn explosive. Even many of Salamani's enemies admitted he was a military genius. By killing him, the U.S. has stripped Iran of an inspirational military leader and also further inflamed dangerous high tensions Iran has already vowed to take, quote, harsh revenge. Washington Post headline, Airstrike air strike at Baghdad Airport kills Iran's most revered military leader. Iraq State Television Reports. You think if somebody killed an American leader, we hear that? I doubt it. NBC, uh, Andrea Mitchell, Soleimani, an iconic military leader, led forces in Iran or Syria and throughout the Middle East. American officials believed he was responsible for the deaths of hundreds of American soldiers during the Iraq War, branding him a terrorist. Like, they did it. It's not true. See, International, Christina Amanpour. He was such a legendary figure, raised not only in the terms of what he did, but the mythology always spoken of by name by the Americans. Weirdly, Soleimani suddenly became sort of a mythical figure in sort of way even the United States was talking about him. Richard Engel. Kasami Soleimani was no ordinary general. The U.S. classified him as a terrorist, but in Iran, he was a national hero. Specifically, Soleimani was in charge of spreading Iranian influence around the world, and he was extremely good at it. Smart, charismatic, ruthless, and bold. Soleimani knit together a loyal network of armed groups from Iran, Syria, Lebanon, and Afghanistan. Do you hear that he almost admires him? Ali Aruzi, NBC Nightly News. Soleimani was a cult figure. There's a real sense of shock here. State TV is commemorating him on a loop, and one general even wept after the death. AP Twitter account: Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Khamenei, wept openly. We covered it. Uh, so of uh, Fareed Zakari, Soleimani. It's difficult to convey how he re- was revered in Iran. Imagine the French Foreign Legion at the height of French Empire. This guy is regarding Iran as a complete heroic figure. Personally, very brave. Anderson Cooper, I was wondering earlier when Arwa was talking, I was trying to think of somebody, and I was thinking of De Gaulle. We are asking once again, where is the evidence? Flanked by stern white military men, the president addressed the world this morning following Iran's attack on military bases housing American soldiers last night. He began not by saying good morning, but by demanding Iran must not be allowed to have nuclear weapons. Katie Tour. The View, Huntsman, in the Middle East a safer place now? Are we in a better place now? So we have to ask these very serious questions, and I don't know the history will say that killing as terrorists was a right move. Sonny Hostin, when we have to take comfort in the fact that Iran is not disproportionately responding to the acts of our president, then we're in a really precarious situation. Because it's our president, then, who's being the provocative person, and Iran is the one showing restraint. Arwa Dawan again on CNN. The strike is fairly brazen, fairly audacious to a certain degree to be taking out someone of such significance at a time when there is such tension. We cannot even begin to imagine right now at this stage. Jonathan Alter, Daily Beast. I think that's what maybe is most frightening about it. Let's assume for a minute that he was at Baghdad Airport and deserved this. Okay, let's just say maybe it was the right decision to take him out. But you have in that case, right decision, wrong commander in chief. So he needs someone at the helm who can navigate skillfully an extraordinary complex set of events that he has now set in motion. And I personally have no confidence that this particular commander in chief could do that. So we have a guy who's driven down a highway at 100 miles per hour going through guardrails. He was going through guardrails here in the United States. Now he's going through guardrails internationally. And we do not know what the wreckage is going to be. <laughs> Andrea Mitchell again. Great concern that there's no plan. Just there is no policy. This is another one-off act, perhaps well justified by Soleimani's career of murder and terrorism, but one that has not been well thought and well planned. When was Obama's ever well planned? Let's leave Iran, Iraq. Was that planned well? It's called ISIS? I just, Jesus Christ. Here's Chuck Todd getting schooled. That's not how media I report it,
21: but that's how I'm reporting it. Right now, we've got a maximum pressure campaign uh, that, that is strangling the regime. Their economy is contracting dramatically. Mm-hmm. The people of Iran are upset. They're protesting. They have been protesting for some time. They've been brutally put down. in Tiananmen Square-style massacres that the press has not been covering. And, and you know, we, we think the regime is in, in real, Wait, real uh, trouble. It, it,
22: not to consider it press does everything it can to cover. We, it, it is a very difficult country to cover. It, parents, it is. Okay? Because this, is it, not a, this is not a press trying to omit things here. I'd it, like not that to be a shot at us.
21: It's a difficult yes. place to cover because they have an authoritarian right. regime and and they, they shut down the Internet. And, and we get there, there are more questions about what the United States is doing to try and help the people of Iran uh, than necessarily what the regime is doing. But uh, I, I agree with you that it's a tough place to cover because of the regime.
22: Um, let me ask you to respond to something of former Senator Jim Webb, who was also a... a Reagan, Secretary of Navy, and, and you know he's got very, very uh, um, um, interesting views when it comes to war and peace and the Constitution. And he writes this. It is legally and logically impossible to define one part of a national government as an international terrorist organization without applying the term to that entire government. The Revolutionary Guards are a part of the Iranian government. If they are attacking us, they are not a terrorist organization. They're an attacking army. And he was basically calling it, we took out the, a commander of another country's army. Um, and to call him a terrorist then then at that point then if you are calling him a terrorist then isn't everybody in that regime a terrorist by well, definition?
21: Well, well in this case the Quds Force, the IRGC Kudz Force, which operates outside of Iran and foments revolution and terrorism in, in Yemen, in Syria where 500,000 people have been killed, in Lebanon with Hezbollah, uh, in Iraq, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that, that organization has been designated legally as a terrorist organization. Soleimani was the head of it but he's not just been designated by us He's under a travel ban from the U.N. He shouldn't even have been outside of Iran. I mean, this, this is a uh, th- this was someone who was a leader of an organization that was engaged in terror. Uh, he was involved in plotting imminent, imminent attacks against the United States. Uh, the president made a, a very difficult uh, decision, but a bold decision to Would remove he not him have from been- the battlefield.
2: It's really hard to get in there. It's not that we're not covering it. For fuck's sake, it's all over Twitter. Twitter's covering it. You sure the fuck took video that's negative for Trump and put it out there? We can't verify this video, but it shows Trump being a cocksucker. You pieces of shit. You're just fucking pieces of shit. So, of course, Trump did a stupid tweet. Rainy Insights, we'll do anything. Go fuck yourself The Bluster. Ashley Fazey, in retaliation, Atolia Khomeini should tweet a list of 52 sites of beloved American cultural heritage that he could bomb. Mall of America, Kardashian residents. He got fired. and College condemns any type of threatening words. He got fired. Twitter didn't take it down, but he got fired. Cuts Force put out a propaganda video, saw it all over Twitter, I'd play it, but it's an Iranian. But, yeah, they were down playing that stuff. John Kerry still hasn't figured out when to walk away or slink away. We suppose his ego is more important to him than the country. Otherwise, he wouldn't have penned a ridiculous and whiny op-ed for the New York Times accusing Trump of destroying what we've built. Because bowing to and fundraising terror terrorists was such a good thing for America. Michael Duran seems to have taken issue with John's cap crap piece and took it upon himself to be a whistleblower. Kerry would have us believe that the JCPOA contained rather than enabled Iran. In response to his ludicrous and reckless contention, I must become a whistleblower. I know for a fact that the Obama administration sent letters, plural, directly to Soleimani. I urge Congress to evac- ex- excavate that correspondence. I challenge former senior Obama officials Rice, Brennan, and Kerry, at Carter. Ash Carter, and Obama himself to divulge all they know about the Soleimani message and agree to have them declassified. And I also challenge those former officials to divulge all they know about and to declassify presidential correspondence with Khomeini and Rouhani. Now that the public has a better understanding of who Soleimani was, it was right to understand the message in context. If Trump's conversation with Zelensky was in need of public airing, then surely we are justified in seeing the message to Soleimani. Obama officials we know have nothing to hide. They say they're proud of their Iranian containment policy, so why would they pose any obstacles? Scandal-free? Obama? Not. He then said, I'm... It's my tri- patriotic duty to be a whistleblower. Feel free to thank me for my service, but please don't reveal my identity. I must remain anonymous. I don't want to play this role, but history and destiny compelled me and to stand by and be counted. Yeah. Somebody said, imagine if it was declassified. Another, John Kerry. Though Mr. Trump has since walked back from the brink of war, I can't explain the chaos of his presidency as it lurches from crisis to crisis. Real or manufacturer. You're right, Kerry. All manufactured by your buddies in a corrupt press. Here's some sound bites Ted Cruz nuking the Dems. Ex CIA official has to explain to CBS why we don't believe Iranian propaganda because they do. And Laura Logan, Logan torches former colleagues playing footsie with Iran. It's kind of depressing.
23: Joining us also tonight live from Washington, Senator Ted Cruz, great state of Texas. Senator, good to have you on the uh, program. Welcome back. Um, Here's my take, Senator, and I think it's fairly simple. You don't get to shoot American drones out of the sky. You don't get to take uh, oil tankers hostage to impact and disrupt the oil supply, the lifeblood of the world's economy. You don't get to kill Americans like they did at the end of December. You don't get to attack our embassy to kill Americans and our interests abroad. Uh, You don't get to be the number one state sponsor of terror, you don't fight proxy wars, you don't try to get to take over the entire region and threaten to wipe Israel off the map and act the way they're acting without expecting a response. I don't want a war, I don't think you do either, Senator, but there has to be a
24: response, doesn't there? No, Sean, I think that's exactly right. Iran is exceptionally dangerous, and if you look at Soleimani, Taking Soleimani out, he was the most dangerous terrorist in the world. The Department of Defense has told us that he was directly responsible for the deaths of at least 603 U.S. service men and women. Uh, he had, has directed terror groups across the globe, including Hamas, including Hezbollah, targeting Americans, targeting civilians, and taking him out has made America safer. Now, as we look at this missile attack tonight, we see the Ayatollah Khamenei striking back and targeting America, t- target, targeting our bases. But, but, but I will say this. Um, I, I think what, what you, you cautioned in your opening monologue is exactly right. Uh, which it, which is that 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 we are not going to get into an extended land war in the Middle East. We're not going to do it. And 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 when you see, when you see Democrats in the media lighting their hair on fire and saying we're headed to World War III. Uh, This is hysteria driven by the fact that they hate Donald Trump because it used to be the case that we could all come together and say that when there's a terrorist who's targeting Americans, in this case Soleimani, had just directed an attack on the U.S. embassy in recent days, that taking out a terrorist targeting, targeting Americans is a good thing. I commend President Trump for following principles of peace through strength, but at the same time, we're not going to be sending our sons and daughters into harm's way for an extended uh, extended land battle in the Middle East.
23: Senator, amen to everything you just said, and you know, one of the things we should be thankful for, at living in the greatest country God above ever gave man, this country, the United States of America, is our brave military and our sophisticated weaponry. Now. One of the things that we can confirm, we know, is that the Iranian economy has been impacted greatly by not yep. bribing the mullah. Whoever yep. thought of the idea of bribing mullahs and bribing Kim Jong-il would work. I don't know where that mindset comes from. It's not one I understand completely. But the question is this. They have three major refineries uh, in, uh, in Iran, Senator. Three. I would mm-hmm. imagine those refineries blew up one day. They got themselves a hell of a domestic problem because that's going to result in major poverty for the people of Iran. And if they want regime change, that's up to them. Maybe we can help them with arms and help them, you know, in some ways. But we're not sending our sons and daughters there.
24: Well, and and if you look at Iran policy, I think you've seen a dramatic shift. Under Barack Obama, as you noted, the policy was appeasement. The policy under the disastrous Iranian nuclear deal under Obama was to give over $100 billion to Iran. They literally flew $1.7 billion in cash and unmarked bills on pallets in the dead of night into Iran. In a very real sense, the missiles that we saw fired on U.S. servicemen and women tonight were paid for by the billions that the Obama administration flooded the Ayatollah with. And and if history teaches anything, it's don't give billions of dollars to people who hate you and want to kill you. And so... Let me say the last three years, I've spent a lot of time with President Trump, urging him to pull out of Obama's disastrous Iran deal. He did that. He took on his own State Department, his own Defense Department and made the right decision there, urging uh, urging the president to end the oil waivers. You know, we had waivers in place that was allowing Iran to sell a million barrels a day of oil. The president agreed and ended those waivers. And so the effects of the sanctions and the economic pressure, it's having a real effect. But we need to stand up to the Ayatollah Khamenei is a radical religious zealot. He hates America. He literally chants death to America. And he calls Israel the little Satan and America the great Satan. The way to deal with threats like that is not through weakness, but rather through strength. And I think we saw that in taking out Soleimani this past week.
23: Do you believe as I do, because you're right. I, I kind of keep saying over and over again, you want to wipe a country off the map and that would be Israel and then they're the little Satan, we're the big Satan. All true. Do you believe that that ideology that you are rightly describing ever got a hold of nuclear weapons? Do you have any doubt? because I don't, mm-hmm. that they would marry the, the ideology with the weapons, And the world could face a holocaust of monumental proportions. We did
24: lose over 100 million souls in the last century, sir. Look, I I think you're exactly right. And it's why I've said for many years that the biggest national security threat facing America is the threat of a nuclear Iran. That the Ayatollah Khamenei, if he gets nuclear weapons, the risks are, are unacceptably high that he would use them. That we would find that out through a mushroom cloud over Tel Aviv or New York or Los Angeles. I'm not willing to roll those dice. A theocratic lunatic should not be allowed to acquire nuclear weapons we stopped funding it we stopped the deal flooding them with billions but but we need to be absolutely unequivocal that he will not get nuclear weapons you know tonight could have played out very differently if they didn't just have ballistic missiles but they had nuclear warheads you could be seeing literally millions of american casualties particularly if they put them on an icbm and took them to a u.s. city that's not a risk we should allow But fortunately, and you noted this, we have air power, we have the ability to project force, we have economic sanctions. There are all sorts of steps short of sending in the Marines... And our mission should not be, sometimes Republicans have gotten off track and have thought that our mission should be to turn foreign countries into democratic utopias. I don't want to turn Iran into Switzerland. I I think it would be a wonderful thing for the Iranian people if they overthrew the Ayatollah and and, and if they ended this tyranny and oppression. But it's not the job of our soldiers to go in and risk their lives to do that. It is the job of our soldiers to keep America safe. And killing terrorists is a very good way to start.
23: Senator Cruz, great commentary, as always.
1: Um, A news agency, Farce News, uh, close to the Revolutionary Guards, is claiming that 80 U.S. military personnel were killed and 200 wounded, although they provide no evidence. Michael, conflicting information, too, about the casualties. U.S. officials say no casualties. Elizabeth just reported
9: in Iran they're saying 80 were killed, 200 injured. Who do we believe? So
14: I'm sure there were no casualties. I'm why, sure, why we sure? Hearing, sure we would be hearing because we would be hearing from the U.S. military if there were casualties, no doubt about it. And I would believe what they were telling us. Mm-hmm. I think what we see in Iran is them saying we hit back and we hit hard and there were casualties. And that allows them to de-escalate. So I think they're sending us a message here that that in terms of direct attacks, this is done for now. The liberal media is acting more like uh, state-run TV at times than, uh, you know, David Brinkley or, or uh, you know, any of the greats like Peter Jennings. So why are they carrying the water for the Iranian regime on this one?
16: You know, it's, um, it's kind of depressing, <laughs> Laura, to listen to the angle and see that because that's not, in my experience, I've been a journalist for more than uh, 30 years and, I've, uh, I've honestly never seen anything like it. I mean, what about the voice of the Iraqi people? What about the voice of the Yemenis and the Syrians and all of the people across the region who have been celebrating Qasem Soleimani's death?
14: Time Magazine writing something similar. If you need help talking with the children in your life about the aftermath of Iranian General Soleimani's wow. killing, Time for wow. Kids has Time for Kids has a guide to explain the topic. Laura. You've spent so much time in the region. You've 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 you've, you've sacrificed personally uh, at the hands of some of these you know brutal thugs. Um, is this imaginable to you? I mean, we do have people in the media who have integrity, but this this is just as Jeanette said. The marinating and the hatred of Trump subsumes everything else.
16: Well, you know, perhaps. Um Perhaps what American journalists are uh, forgetting at this moment is Things like, for example, when I was living in Baghdad for five years, right? One of um, the Revolutionary Guard's proxy forces, um, one of the Iranian militias in Iraq, their task was to hunt down every Iraqi pilot that flew missions in the Iran-Iraq war. And that um, commander, who was trained in Iran, who was loyal to Iran, who was run by Qasem Soleimani, he killed, um, according to the U.S. Embassy, two and a half thousand Sunnis. And his preferred method of killing them was to drill holes in their heads while they were alive. We would go into mosques where, Shiite mosques where there would be meat hooks on the wall that the Iranian militias used to hang
2: people. Who do we believe? Who do we believe? Do we believe a terrorist regime or do we believe the United States of America? I mean, Jesus Christ. Man, if that was done under Obama, seriously. And we close with Warren. Almost immediately interrupted by a protester in Dover, New Hampshire, a man who shouted that she supported Iran and called her a fraud, Warren, remain calm. Let the man have a say. He was escorted out by police because we can't have opposing views during one of our fake fucking rallies. But this is what he said. Since World War II, you're siding with racists, you're siding with Iran. Why are you siding with terrorists? Why are you siding with terrorists? My grandfather died in World War II. You're fraud. Disgusting. Crowd booze. No, no, this is a man who's deeply upset. It's all right. It's time for you to leave. It's time for you to leave. Protester, he killed 600 Marines. We killed a terrorist. Trump is great. You're a fraud. I helped rake victims, and you're lying. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Let him go. It's all right. It's all right. It's time to go. She likes Iran. Get out well, good to be here in Dover, she tries to play it off, he's right, they side with terrorists, because terrorists are better than Trump, and it shows their underlining inability to side with America, they agree with the terrorists, America is bad, thus we went through a whole fucking impeachment, which starts our GOP hate section.
22: I do want to ask you one question about impeachment having to do with the articles of impeachment that have yet to be delivered to the Senate. There are now some Democratic senators who are suggesting it's time. I want you to listen to, to Democratic Senator Joe Manchin and Independent Angus King.
21: I think it's time to turn the articles over. Let's see where the Senate can take it.
3: I think it is time for the Speaker to send the, 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 the uh, articles over.
22: Is it time, Chairman? I think it
12: is. I mean, I understand what the Speaker is trying to do, um, basically trying to use the leverage of that to work with Democratic and Republican senators to try to get a reasonable trial, a trial that would actually you know, show evidence, bring out witnesses. But at the end of the day, just like we, we control it in the House, Mitch McConnell controls it in the Senate. Um, I, don't, I think it was perfectly um, advisable for the Speaker to try to leverage that, to get a better deal. At this point, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And, yes, I, I think it is time to send um, the impeachment to the Senate and let Mitch McConnell be responsible uh, for the fairness of the trial. He ultimately is.
22: Mr. Chairman, great to have you on the show this morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for the chance.
25: And this is the dirty little secret that nobody is talking about why the Speaker held these papers. Remember what happened in the last nomination process, where the DNC chairman, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, had to resign the night before the nomination convention started because they had found out they had cheated Senator Bernie Sanders from the opportunity to become the nominee. They are doing the exact same thing right now the Iowa caucus is on February 3rd Bernie Sanders is in first place and what this does is this benefits Joe Biden this harms senator Sanders who who is in first place and could become their nominee because he will be stuck in a chair because Nancy Pelosi held the papers different than what she said to the American public why she had to move so urgently
9: so you think that it's by design That Nancy Pelosi is sending the articles now slow walking, really slow walking the impeachment trial to have those senators in the room. I mean, that's collusion. That's obstruction. Once again, keeping Bernie Sanders at bay and clearing the decks for Joe Biden. Is that what you're saying?
25: that 's exactly what i 'm saying. Remember what the Democratic Party actually did this time. They removed the super delegates from the first round of voting because what they had done to senator Sanders now they don 't have that power had he got to the convention fairly. So what do the power does the speaker have? Remember when she first started impeachment, I sent her a letter about process. Could we have a fair process lying out? Ten questions, the exact same process we had for Bill Clinton or Richard Nixon. She ignored that and didn't care about process. Now she tries in hypocrisy, bring up process in the Senate where she has no power. She wow. told the American public it was urgent. She had to move so fast. The only reason why she should be, that she's doing this, that no one's talking about, it is harming the bernie sanders the senator who is becoming into first place who could win iowa and propel himself to be the nominee it's that's the exact same thing they did to him 4 years ago that's unbelievable actually i
2: disagree with the latter one i don't think it's about sanders it's protecting biden it's protecting biden they know he's their only chance warren won't get elected sanders they don't want sanders cuz he's a socialist and they know that will play right into Republican hands and saying, look, they nominate socialists. They want a socialist country. And it will work. But the things that came out worse is from Ruben, J- Ruben, uh, WAPO. Collins and other Republicans will face the real possibility that conclusive evidence of Trump wrongdoing will come to light after a sham trial. That would make for a disastrous, humiliating legacy. Everybody said, but I thought there was conclusive evidence. There's no conclusive evidence? No, there's not. I watched videos this weekend of Democrats going, yeah, they could have got them on so many more, like shit old countries, things like that. But they know this is bullshit. Alyssa Milano at the news that they're going to do it. Fuck, fuck, fuck. This is what happens when we pivot our focus to Iran. McConnell is backing a resolution to change Senate rules to allow for lawmakers to dismiss articles of impeachment against Trump before the House sends them over. Yeah. Washington Post, Russia, Russia, Russia. Russian pranking Maxine Waters undermines America. The duo describe themselves as comedians and pranksters, but they are widely suspected of being ties to Russian government. Russian information meant to undermine the United States. The first goal is adding info to political dialogue in which discrediting one side is useful to Russia. The second is being able to make the argument to the rest of the world that U.S. leaders are easily duped. Putin interests are served when U.S. leaders are made to look foolish in the world's eyes. They tell Waters that the president made Thunberg cry when he said, you'll never, ever achieve your goals like those congressional fools accuse me. And I'll tell you the truth, I really wanted to push the Ukrainian president to put my competitor on trial, and he will go on trial with you, with a bunch of Democrats. I would have a separate cage for all of them. Oh my God, he mentioned Ukrainian president. Waters heard it again. Waters has heard assuring the callers that her colleagues are working directly to gather facts in the impeachment case against Trump. If the public knew he talked to Greta like that and that she will never achieve, that will go against him too, she said. It's a fucking comedy meme on Twitter. They did a whole article that it's Russia, 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 Russia. But it goes in line what was on MSNBC. The real winner through all this Iranian conflict is
3: Russia. Russia. Well, Russia is going to win from this, um, and I think that's a pretty clear one. Both Putin and Russia's interests are aligned here, which is that they want the U.S. out of the Middle East, or they want the U.S. to have a reduced role in the Middle East. And what you've seen in the last, you know, several months is, as Trump has done things like, you know, abandon Kurdish allies in the region, Russia has taken over U.S. military bases. Now, that's going to accelerate Russia's play in the Middle East now with the Suleimani attack, because they can basically claim that the U.S. is erratic in the way it behaves in the, in the region. That will be an easier sell with iran they have a a strong relationship with iran and overall they want to have the u.s pushed out so news that iraq is continuing to ask the u.s troops to leave or at least has passed a resolution calling on u.s troops to leave uh that's very much music to vladimir putin's ears
2: god this whole year is going to be russia everything's russia remember i'm a russian because i argued with the guy about iran i'm a bot ABC News as aforementioned. Disinformation is everywhere. Here's how to sort real news from fake news. And theirs is no different than Todd's. Anything conservative, anything online, fake. Only we are right. People just attacked him. Listen a number of times ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS, MSNBC, CNN, New York Times, etc. have had to retract all their false reports. Usually on page 12 a little notice at the bottom of the page. Like the disinformation you see up in reaction to sticking up and hiding proof of Epstein's pedophilia. Perhaps you should have trained your news staff before they aired the fake Syrian-Turkey bombing footage from the Kentucky gun range. And somebody tweeted, your Epstein has three seconds of Clinton. Three seconds! Their new special on Epstein. I mean, seriously, who does the misinformation? I'm just asking. This one's embarrassing for the left on so many levels. From Vanity Fair special correspondent Gabriel Sherman thinking Frank Lund's story about Trump was true, to Nick Bitten not only sharing it on Twitter, but sharing sirens around it like it was literally important. Hoo boy! On Inside the Hive this week, Gabriel Sherman tells a a short, hilarious, sad story about Trump that pretty much sums up his presidency. On this week's episode of Inside the Hive, Vanity Fair's special correspondence, Gabriel Sherman, who was attending the Globes for this show, the loudest voice, relayed a story that sums up the Trump presidency and the mess we're currently living in. Standing near the bar, Sherman ran into Frank Luntz, a Republican pollster, and the two started chatting. Sherman asked Luntz when he saw the Last saw the president, last week at the White House, Christmas party, Luntz said. Sherman asked what the two men talked about, to which Luntz replied that he had asked Trump what his middle initial J stands for. Genius, Trump responded. Frank Luntz, I've been telling that joke of parties for years, and Sherman is the first person to think it's real. That's what happens when the media wants to spin everything as orange man bad. Nick Bilton you tell a story to a reporter that's 100% plausible, given how close you are to the White House, and when he relays it, you call it spin? Sounds more like you've been making fun of Trump for years, and you're scared he might find out this time it shuts you out again. If I was scared, I wouldn't post half the tweets I do. Ask anyone who's been to any of my speeches or public gatherings in the past three year; They'll recognize the joke. This is our media. Here is Stephanie Rule. Or, yeah, Stephanie Rule. This is really bad for the media because, or for the Democrats, this is really bad because the economy's really good.
8: A number that should concern Democrats. Looking ahead to November, we're talking about the economy. It's a strong one. A majority of Americans are saying President Trump's policies have helped the economy. But the poll is not exactly a win for the president. Democrats are going to have to find a lane here. going well, the economy, which is different from the markets, is also overall up. But the big question is about you. Are you better off than you were four years ago? Well, for the first time in a Financial Times poll, a majority of Americans, 51%, now believe President Trump's policies have either strongly or somewhat helped the economy. Here to dive into these numbers is Peter Spiegel, the U.S. Managing Editor of the Financial Times. Peter, here's what's noteworthy. Last month... Just 44% believe President Trump's policies have helped the economy. And now that's jumped to 51%. What changed in the last month?
7: Well, we had a very good fourth quarter in the stock market, as you said. Now, that is not the real economy, granted, but it does have a you know, trickle-down effect on a lot of people, so there is a feel-good factor. But I think the other thing that's beginning to happen is the, the tight labor market has begun to see a rise in wages, particularly on the low end of the of the uh, the economy. So the, these, these poorest off, the lowest workers are beginning to see real wage increases. Now, not all of that is because of Trump policy, to be sure. Some of this is because a lot of states, which frankly are run by Democrats, are instituting minimum wage. Increases So these blue-collar jobs are beginning to see increases for reasons other than Trump. But I think Trump is suddenly getting credit for this amongst voters who otherwise would be more skeptical. And although there still is a big partisan split, so Republicans still think are way more positive about Trump policies than Democrats. The numbers for Democrats are also going up, saying that Trump policies are helping the economy overall. Our next
2: soundbite, I love this, because this sums up the media, Democrats, etc., This is a sit-down with Nancy Pelosi with Time Magazine. And I want you to put yourself in a frame of of reference. This is a conservative, Michelle Bachman. I know it's not the equal of a Speaker of the House. But a female talking about Barack Obama. Just think that as you listen to what she says about Trump, the President of the United States. Remember, She's not hateful. She doesn't hate anybody. She prays for everybody because she's a good Catholic. We went through all that shit, played sound bites of the media. I know her. She's a Catholic. La, 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 la. If this isn't hate, I guess I don't know what hate is.
18: You know, every knock from the president is a boost for me. So the more he wants to go out there and say...
2: Crazy Nancy Pelosi's
4: House Democrats.
18: But I truly do believe that everything he says about somebody else is a projection of his own weakness. He recognizes it because he sees it in himself. For example, he calls me nervous. Who's more nervous than he is in total meltdown? He calls Adam Schiff names, this or that, Hillary names, that are all completely identifiable with him. He's a perfect foil for me. He doesn't bother me at all, but it, it is a bother that he is the President of the United States. That's why I pray for him, and I pray for our country. Job be
11: I've interviewed the speaker numerous times for Time magazine and for a forthcoming biography about her life in politics. The impeachment of Donald J. Trump is going to be a major part of Nancy Pelosi's legacy, but ever since she became speaker for the second time in January 2019, she resisted impeachment until the Ukraine scandal came along.
18: The aha moment was Ukraine But the pattern of behavior was very self-evident. The
10: call was a perfect call. Uh, You had stenographers. Talking to
18: the president, when he called to uh, tell me how perfect the call was and the rest, then I knew we really had, had to act, because he was in such denial of his responsibilities as president of the United States. So I would say probably that call was really a confession on the part of the president. And I'm sorry it's necessary. I'm sorry the actions of the president make this necessary it's not a good day for the country when we suspect that the president of the united states considers himself above the law he will be held accountable
11: pelosi and her allies insist she has had a strategy from the beginning the key to it was to avoid appearing politically motivated
18: president trump has been a coward when it comes to protecting children from gun violence He has been cruel, and instead of helping our dreamers, who we take such pride in, he's in denial on the climate crisis, the list goes on and on. They are subjects for the election. And yes, we disagree with him. And they are subjects for the election. We go after the Constitution of the United States, undermining our national security, jeopardizing the integrity of our elections. You're in the impeachment turf. He gave us no choice. No one is above the law, the president must be held accountable, and that the fact that the Republicans are even in denial of the factual basis of what happened is sad for our country.
11: Why do
18: you think that's happening? You have to ask them.
11: Her next steps are to transmit the articles of impeachment to the Senate. She's taken a lot of heat from the Republicans for this surprise move that she pulled in delaying the articles. But there's a strategy here, too.
3: The White House strategy here is stunted by her holding back these articles of impeachment, and it is frustrating the president. McConnell has called impeachment a political charade.
11: The key to understanding everything about Pelosi is that she is always looking for leverage. And, of course, she is always trying to protect her majority and make sure Democrats are well-positioned politically in 2020.
18: I think we're at a critical place in our country. I look forward to our narrowing our presidential field. All the candidates are wonderful. I, I, I'm so impressed by all of them. Of course, any one of them would be a better president than Donald Trump, but that's a low standard. The American people are the boss. They'll make a judgment as to how we should go forward. presidential election is a very exciting, wonderful miracle of our democracy.
2: That's hate, my friends. That's hate on a level that is deep and rooted, and they just despise him. And the media, well, here's another one. I mean, if there's a million, I show every podcast. Trump president has been a triggering experience for many. However, for Vanity Fair correspondent, NBC News contributor Gabriel Sherman, it's been very triggering. And it's triggered by NPR host Gabriel Sherman. There's something super disconcerting hearing NPR anchors talk about Trump and that soothing NPR voice. Normalizes Trump in a way that he shouldn't be. I mean, do you hear that hate? This is an NBC person. Molly Hemingwell. There's something super disconcerting about a reporter thinking NPR is being too journalistic sound, not to mention publicly admitted the unhinged view that the elected president of the United States should be covered abnormally and from a hysterical oppositional posture my feelings are more important than doing my job that's the media that's just who they are they will defend anything no I didn't put this out of order I wanted to set that in let you think about it that's journalists and now here's a WAPO article GOP used altered photo of Nancy Pelosi and fundraising tweet. Washington Post is so exquisitely sensitive to mockery of the House Speaker that an unflattering image of her became a small scandal. The headline was Representative Stefanik tweets altered photo of Pelosi and GOP fundraiser. Reporter Felicia Sanmez sounded the alarm. Stefanik. panic tweeted a petition at fundraising appeal that included what appeared to be an altered photo of Pelosi drawing a retweet Thursday morning from the president. The tweet marks the second time this week that the House Republicans have tweeted a photo that appears to have been manipulated. The tweet shows a close-up red-tinted photo of Pelosi with the lines in the speaker face exaggerated due to the image unnaturally high contrast. The other image was a dishonestly photoshopped image of Congressman Paul Gosar putting Ayatollah Khomeini next to President Obama when in fact they never met. Stephonic tweet was a fake. It merely included an unflattering image, a photo illustration. On Twitter, Post Critics quickly offered example of Pelosi's own Twitter account using negative images. No one above the law with blood coming out of his nose. I would like you to do us a favor, though, and him unflattered with high contrast. But somebody did it. The lily offered this iconic photo illustration of her doing the hand clap. You remember the State of the Union and how she clapped back? And they have a halo, a religious halo coming out of her. That's our media. That has always been our media. I mean, how many Obamas did we do with the glow? Patrick Stewart, new Star Trek show, response to Brexit and Trump. If Trump hadn't won, we definitely wouldn't have had have the show. We didn't have a motivation to do it. We didn't really have the meat or story. And then when the election happened, I mean, if Hillary had won, we'd just be dancing in the streets. Stewart connected the United States to Brexit. I'm not sure which one of us is more in trouble, he says. Britain and the United States. I think it's actually the UK. I think we're fucked up, completely fucked he points to study predicting decade-long economic damage inflicted by the country's looming withdrawal from the EU. Of the U.S., he says there's a time to limit your fuck states, which is four years away. He expressed hope the United States that has given Trump administration could change, but the actor added he will likely get reelected. So we're doing a show. Univision highlights northern border as new illegal immigration gateway. George Ramos. More and more Mexicans are trying to reach the United States through the forgotten border. The most common crossing, George, is through the state of Maine, where it's just over a year. The arrest of undocumented immigration is multiplied by 400%. Here in Maine, we met with border control agents in order to learn more about what the increasing number of Mexicans that travel to Mexico and Canada. All they need is $300 for airfare and electronic transit permit to Canada, which costs $7. Then they cross the United States. Galeando, with our, without visa, the forgotten border and desolate landscapes make their way to the new door to immigration. Reporting from Hilton, Maine correspondent Galeano met with Border Patrol agents to learn more about growing number of Mexicans traveling, tweets, and crossings they have been with. According to the report, government data shows that in the last five years, the number of detainees at the border almost doubled. 2015, 2,600. In 2018, 4,000. Increase of 460%. So you just oppose that with New York giving out driver's license. Okay, we have an increase in illegal immigration. We're putting out driver's license. And Charlie Kirk, did you know a proposed New York law will give automatic voter registration to anyone receiving a driver's license? Right after Democrats pass a law to give license to illegal aliens, this was their plan all along. Retweet of illegals should be deported, not registered to vote. I told you. I fucking said it. It's a voter scheme. And there you go. It's already leaking out. They're going to allow them to vote. It's gonna be a motor voter law and it'll be grandfathered. So we let the illegals have driver's license, and then we let them vote. I've been saying it. I don't think New York, California, Washington, Oregon electoral votes should count. I just don't think they can. You can no longer guarantee the vote in anything in Austin, Texas. Because we played Project Veritas. They were allowing them to vote. Next article showing the media has to have a website somewhere. They must talk to each other. Because as we did, crossfire, blame Trump, all the catchphrases, they all you unanimously do... They rage against Facebook refusing to change political ad. Listen to the list of people. The FEC Democrat chair. It's a weak plan. was only window dressing when the company needs to be putting out the house fire and his lit. She also suggested the statements virtually invite Congress to reexamine their exemption. Remember, that's that's the way we work things in Democrat. You don't do what we say, we take money away from you. They can do that. The media doesn't see a problem with it. If Trump did it, Sweet Jesus. If Trump did the fucking IRS shenanigans or directly took money from Planned Parenthood, sweet God. New York Times bemoaned the misleading advertisements that were still allowed to continue Facebook. The Washington Post wrote that Facebook has defined public, defied public calls to adopt significant limits on political advertising ahead of the 2020 presidential campaign. Nobody's calling for that. Liberals are. CNN political commentator Karen Finney tweeted, another reason to quit Facebook. Guardian writer Carol Gunwald opined, Zuck has taken his orders from Trump. Zuckerberg has sanctioned the delivery of toxic lies to voters for profit. I want you to really think about that. Does anybody believe Facebook is a Republican-run social media? Does anybody? This isn't about false lying. Every political ad that's ever been done is lying in some fashion, my friends. It's about silencing. They own Twitter. Twitter plays any game they want. even down to the new law that they're going to be able to not allow you to talk back to your intellectual Democrat betters in the media. So Twitter did what they wanted. And then relented and let them do climate change hysterics and abortion. But you can't do pro-life stuff. Yeah. Elijah Schaefer, peaceful anti protesters, attempted to steal one of my producer's cameras in Seattle. I intervened and was then forcefully assaulted in the head by another Antifa member. They then surrounded, cursed at, and harassed me for simply trying to protect my property and keep the peace. And the Seattle P- police watched this entire incident. You can see them. They're just watching.
6: Hey, 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 well, hey, hey,
5: what's
20: hey, please step off here please
22: step off Fuck, dude, he just touched no my fuck cameraman. Fuck you him. just tried to steal fuck my guys camera. He out
6: of hey, hey. 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 The fuck out of Watch out guys. You, out you were touching get him. you.
10: You do, you just hit me in the
26: face.
6: You touched my camera.
13: Stay away from
6: Crazy.
13: Yeah. Yeah, psycho. you not Get
6: the fuck
13: what? out of
6: here. Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. I'm not do anything. Out push out. off. Hey. Hey, I'm just, to a get shot. You know, I'm just
5: no on the the no no you know, fuck up I'm, you
10: know, I'm just here.
5: the and move. I'm just here. Shut you move. I'm just here. the move. I'm just I'm
6: just i Alright. Go. Get, get the fuck
5: They're out. Taking. Get the fuck out. Get the fuck
0: out. Get the
21: fuck out. Get the fuck out. Get the fucking, go. fucking go. Go.
6: Yes, go. Yes. Okay. <laughs> go. Get the
21: fuck I'm not out. leaving right
6: now. No. Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. Go. No. no.
26: Out. Out. No, don't touch don't me. Stay touch away me. from me. Get the fuck out of here. Get, like out out stop, here. Get, get the fuck out of here. I'm literally natural press. Get the fuck stop. out of here. please stop.
5: Get, get the fuck out of here. I'm not getting intimidated by people like this.
7: Get Just stop.
6: Just stop. Call me out. a piece of shit,
7: but I'm not going to stop recording.
22: I have the right as press in the United States to do this. What's your outlet? My outlet? Mercury Mercury Radio Arts.
0: Get the fuck out Mercury Radio Arts. Thank you very much.
2: I got a good soundbite from that guy. He did a little segment that we're it's almost 30 minutes, but I got the last 14, which is pretty good, and I'll insert it later somewhere on the show. So to close out and go to a music break, we're going to listen to Send in the Clowns. Don't ask me. I have no idea how the fuck that got in my head. We're going to play two sound bites. The first one is Seltzer still bitching, still, about the press briefing. And then Fox highlights Virginia Democrats targeting guns. Because, once again, it's control. We silence you on social media. We then take your guns. You must obey. It's that whole obama Zelensky, chicago way. You will obey. On the other side, news, social, media nuggets.
14: And, I mean, I'm... Seems like forever ago. Like Remember? we were constantly cutting into, uh, you know, it was first it was it was Sean and then and then Sarah and then you know now 301 days. It's unprecedented, and especially given this moment in time, this international crisis, we have questions that that. Need answers. And it's
17: worth recognizing these milestones, even though it's been so long since there's been a briefing. We need to recognize it's not normal. It's not the way things worked for decades in Washington. Uh, And the reason why there's not briefings is simply because the president does not want briefings. Stephanie Grisham is not out there at the podium because the president does not want her out there. And it's a sign of weakness, not strength. A strong administration, a confident administration would want to answer lots of questions. But instead, the president right now is on the phone with Rush Limbaugh, his friend Rush Limbaugh, on the radio, uh, giving rants, giving speeches. That's the way the president likes it.
14: Has this just totally eroded their credibility? I
17: mean, wouldn't, wouldn't a briefing now make matters worse? I think that is at the heart of the matter is that the president squandered his credibility early on, and many of his aides have as well. And when they're out there trying to answer questions, oftentimes getting the facts wrong or misinforming the public, they do oftentimes make matters worse. Sarah Sanders did that at multiple briefings. Uh, This credibility issue, though, it doesn't just go one way. People can win back credibility. And I've, I've been thinking about that in the context of the UN Iran crisis. Every day, administration aides, they could be winning back credibility. One true statement at a time, one piece of evidence at a time. That's what journalists do every day. If we make a mistake, we correct it, we try to get better every day. And unfortunately this administration doesn't seem to want to win back credibility. Instead, President Trump wants to stay in his bunker, his Rush Limbaugh talk radio, Fox News bunker.
14: But again, as I brought up off the top, it's like in this time of international crisis, what is the significance of them not talking to the media?
17: I think it shows weakness and it shows a lack of transparency that is troubling regardless of party or regardless of affiliation. When the stakes are this high, that's when transparency matters more than ever. And uh, it comes down to basic patriotism, about expecting to be able to hold government officials accountable. Mm -hmm. I think that's the ultimate act of patriotism. It's what makes America so great. But unfortunately, there's an unwillingness to enable that transparency and access by having things like briefings. Yeah.
14: After all these days, and especially given what's going on, we needed to call it out, to call it to to your attention. Uh, Brian Stelter, thank you very much for that.
21: Meanwhile, hundreds of gun rights advocates gathering outside of Virginia Beach, Virginia City Council meeting this week as local officials passed a resolution declaring Virginia Beach a Second Amendment constitutional city.
10: Now, Virginia Beach is the latest community taking measures to protect gun rights in anticipation of strict new gun regulations Uh, Thanks to the Democratic state leadership. Joining us right now to discuss it, uh, nationally syndicated radio host Dana Lash. Hey, Dana, I understand that Virginia Beach in particular has hit the pause button, but where's this heading?
0: Yeah, well, and that's the that's the million-dollar question, and good morning to everyone. Morning. I morning. think Virginia Beach, I think this is now the 118th, 119th county area that is, that is now declaring itself to be a Second Amendment sanctuary. All of it has been happening so quickly, and people, I don't know, I'm sure you all saw, uh, I've seen all of the video footage from all of these different counties. You have hundreds of people turning out every single time. And that's what I think Virginia Democrats didn't appreciate when they began the this tactic and their overall strategy of disarmament and let's be really clear because that's what this is this is what democrats envision for the rest of america just a quick example of some of the things that they've proposed in virginia democrats there's one democrat lawmaker who's actually proposed to ban gun ranges they want to ban gun ranges because it's all about gun sense and gun safety but yet i guess a part of that gun sense and gun safety is to make it to where law-abiding americans can't actually train to carry their arms and practice their marksmanship, which doesn't sound like gun safety or gun sense to me. They've also, uh, started stripping parents of their rights. That's another proposal of determining when and how their children can learn about firearms and right. actually shoot firearms under adult supervision. So we have a number of things. We have that. We have the magazine ban universal background checks, which if you remember when Colorado passed this law, it actually didn't do anything to impact crime. In fact, crime increased. Same thing with Maryland.
5: Isn't it rich?
18: Are we
5: a pair? Me here at last on the ground You in midair Where are the clowns? Isn't it bliss? Don't you approve? One who keeps tearing around, one who can't move. But where are the clowns? There ought to be clowns. Just when I stopped Opening doors Finally Finding the one That I wanted Was yours Making my entrance Again with my usual Flair So sure Of my lines And no one Is there Don't you love a farce My fault I fear I thought that you'd want what I want I'm sorry my dear where are the clowns? Send in the clowns. Don't bother there. He isn't it rich. Isn't it queer Losing my timing This late In my Career But where are the clowns There ought to Be clowns Well me. next
0: year poking at the
16: media bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed
5: come fly with me let's fly let's fly away if you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away.
6: Were you trying to get crazy with this, scene? Eh? Don't you know I'm loco?
0: Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind.
24: Hi, I'm Eduardo with Campus Reform. Today we're at Georgetown University getting student reactions to the death of Iranian General Soleimani. So what are your thoughts on the U.S. strike against Iranian General Soleimani?
26: I think that the United States was founded on... Uh, the United States has a history of violence um, against... Uh, non-white people and that violence has manifested in various ways and to see how that extends into how they interact with foreign policy I think is really informative and I think that coming from the position of recognizing that the United States like, is a white supremacist state and does operate in the interest of white supremacy the majority of the time.
22: So do you think it was it was based on racism in in, in a degree?
26: Oh, I, 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 100%. I think that most decisions that the United States government makes are based on their allegiance to white supremacy and white supremacist issues. So, I'm one of the few Shia Muslims on this campus. Um, so, it was a little bit devastating for me. To be honest with you, to be very frank, like my family was like devastated. Like, I went to my mosque that day for Friday prayer, um, and they were like uh, mourning the death of him as like a martyr. I was shocked and kind of then after that immediately disgusted that trump had done that don't have the moral authority and certainly trump himself doesn't have the ability to do that
23: i certainly feel for the iranian people
26: it was such a big official that it meant a lot to a lot of people so to kill someone like that so brutally all of a sudden obviously it's something that hurts what i've been hearing in like my mosque um, and amongst my family is that like he was someone that stood up for the oppressed um the oppressed in this case are like largely
6: like the shia muslims there's a lot of like um sentimental feelings going on and i want
26: to be able to like empathize with that and i think it's definitely like something to empathize about um so the united states is not like innocent i mean really western imperialism you can see the impacts of that in a lot of other nations in a lot of different ways
17: i think no matter what you do uh no matter how, like, all the crimes you can commit, you still deserve the right to a trial. I don't think that just
26: applies to Americans.
6: Everyone was talking about how maybe this could kind of like, it was just kind of used to like adhere his his um, impeachment and like distract from it.
25: I think he got what was coming to him, to be honest, because he was running terrorist operations in Iraq and cooperating with shia militant groups so
26: the american people are not innocent and like ask someone who's living in you know america like just by virtue of being a citizen here like it i mean really requires an apology and requires at, not just an apology but also acts of solidarity and um and so he's seen as a hero largely because he fought back against isis leads me to question a lot about what americans have been saying and so i've also been trying to do my own research to see what i think about it um i've definitely not reached a consensus yet
24: should americans send condolences for the death of Soleimani?
26: Um, Well, I don't know very much about
9: Soleimani as a person in general or what his impact has been on the region and the country itself. Um, I'm definitely for a de-escalation of the conflict, though. I don't know. I would just, I think I would
11: send my condolences. Like, I'm sorry, this is not what America is. And I would just want to (laughs) differentiate the American people from the American president.
0: There's uh, nothing wrong
19: with showing uh, condolences to them. In the sense that we're worried about their safety because we know that if there were to be an escalation of, uh, you know, it could harm the Iranian citizens. In Iran, a lot of the citizens
6: really don't know the extent of what's happening on the outside of it because they're being told. So, in my opinion, I feel like simply saying sorry to them
19: is
9: okay. You know, just like, maybe like just sorry that we, maybe like we infringed on your sovereignty in a sense but not sorry that like you know this person was eliminated because he's not a very good man
26: i think people have the right to their opinion i think what if they do want to send their condolences they should i really don't think that the u.s should have you know
2: those are of course uh, brainwashed kids who weep for him being killed How to play it arlington cemetery implements 100 percent id check amid iran fears pretty bad Navy authorizes new black leather jacket for surface warfare officers, which will look pretty cool. I do love those jackets. What to do if your service member deploys without a phone or laptop? Because it looks like they all are deploying without phones or laptops. Here's some general information for millennials, because I guess you need this. Snail mail. You know, um, I used MRE boxes. Yeah, the, the little pouch comes in. You just write on it. Send it. Without... Without a stamp, it's so cool. The MWR tent, you can always go there and they'll have secure uplinks. Satellite phones, if you really need to talk to your loved one. Or maybe do like we did in our first one and we didn't take any, or we took some casualties, but nobody died. Concentrate on fighting the fucking war. What it's like to survive a deadly rocket attack, an Iranian missile barrage in Iraq. Second rocket, third rocket came, I thought, this is it, we're getting rocketed. Long story. They went out there, this is Army time, so it wasn't biased, but um, they knew, and they got into bunkers, and they didn't hit anything. 7th Special Forces Group awarded Valor Medals for soldiers after tough Afghan deployment. Florida-based Green Berets were awarded nearly 30 Valor Medals as well as 21 Purple Hearts Thursday for their action in Afghanistan between September 2018 and February 2019. Soldiers from the 2nd Battalion, 7th Special Forces led a special operation task force in the country that earned green braids three silver stars, seven bronze stars with valor, 17 AAMs or army commendation medals, I'm sorry, ARCOMs, uh with valor and they got a distinguished flying uh, distinguished service cross in the works. So, good on them. Army Guard soldier dies during training at Fort Jackson. Army officials have released the name of soldier found who died yesterday at basic training. South Carolina Private John Connor J. McGurn was found unresponsive by fellow soldiers. We mourn the lost 19-year-old Minnesota. National Guard soldier in training. We extend our deepest sympathies to the family members, teammates, and the deceased soldiers. Fort Jackson medical responders immediately transported the soldier to Providence Hospital, but life-saving measures performed by the cadre, EMS personnel, and hospital staff were unsuccessful. It is still under investigation. He was doing the forge, which is the end field problem, which isn't that difficult, but they've had numerous deaths down there of late, so um, stay tuned. For more, which takes us to college crazy. Yeah, um, I was going to play a sound bite to start this off. Of uh, well, let's play it. Uh, conservative students reveal just how bad it is on campus for them. <laughs>
22: Hi, I'm Eduardo Nuret with Campus Reform. We're in West Palm Beach at the Turning Point USA Student Action Summit asking students about liberal bias on their campus.
21: So have you faced liberal bias on your campus? Oh, of course. I think we all have. Recently, we uh, started a new chapter at Hamlin University in Minnesota. And um, the biggest thing that we've f- faced is really big pushback, not only from students, but from actual faculty. And that's, that's been the scariest part. There's actually an email thread um, about a month ago and they were saying that uh, there's some ideas that just simply shouldn't be expressed on college campuses and so it was I mean, hearing about these people, not only are we paying money to this institution but th- these people, they, they, they truly want us out
11: Trying to start a chapter on campus right now and it's been extremely difficult um, everybody basically from the left is trying to stop me from being able to have my own free speech and being able to do what I want to do so you see it every single day on campus, it's super difficult but, Well, I table on campus with Turning Point USA so we get a lot of liberal bias um, from the professors that are there, they come up and they harass us about our taxation is theft size mostly because a lot of them are so self-proclaimed socialists and they just don't like what we have and they don't want us to share a message with anyone.
25: Liberal bias, my RA um, has once said that she has an implicit bias against straight white males because of privilege.
7: A lot of the bias we face is back when um, Brett Kavanaugh was getting um, confirmed. The students, the leftist students on our campus, University of Texas San Antonio, caused a massive riot, lots of property damage, several conservative students were injured. I want to say there was only one conviction that happened from that.
2: Yeah, it's not surprising. We report most of that on the show, but it is the left. Stunning percentage of college students unfamiliar with U.S. killing of Soleimani. A survey found that 49% of college students disapprove of the decision to kill Iranian Soleimani. The polls have found that Republican students were more likely to favor it. A whopping 26%... Run familiar, but I'm sure they went out and fucking protested my wife shared with me and I was going to play it but I don't like playing her content because she's a content drive business um oh what the hell uh Liberty Hangout I can never remember a damn name but she um went to Times Square and none of them could point where Iran was and then they attacked her for being a piece of shit because she asked the question yeah pretty common Professor deletes tweet calling Covington teen face punchable. Claims lawsuit has nothing to do with it. University professor has deleted a tweet of Covington Captain Nicholas Sandman, Native American leader Nathan Phillips, at the march for D.C. Attorney Rob Barnes on January 19. Reza Aslan tweeted an image of Salmon's face. Honest question, have you ever seen a more punchable face? Remember, he's on CNN too. Aslan has deleted the tweet. Laugh out loud, now Aslan deleted his Covington tweet. After all this time, Barnes took to Twitter on Wednesday to suggest one possible reason. Apparently, Raza got served the suit I filed against him on behalf of Come to Boys. Barnes tweeted in response, Aslan is a former CNN host, his name in an August defamation suit. He says it has nothing to do with it. And that, no, the accusations was the kid and his friends mocked an elderly Native American veteran. And, hey, they did. They also taunted women. They're still bad people, regardless of the soup. People dog Trump for doubling down. Liberals just triple down. BU professor, Trump represents a clear and present threat to our electoral system, which makes me think, did the Dems get it from professors? Because that's what they put in the fucking impeachment. A threat to the electoral system, even though they are the ones that are trying to get rid of the electoral system. Ted McCoy is an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Calgary, but prospective students should be advised, if you cite Jordan Peterson, you'll be punished. Highland Newark, Calgary U social justice professor and self-described anti-fascist, Ted McCoy will fail students who cite University of Toronto, psychology professor who taught at Harvard and co-authored 100-plus scientific papers. I heard it rumored students will fail my class, and they cite Jordan Peterson and I'd like to clarify... That's absolutely correct. <laughs> oh, Jesus. UMass, silent on status, of professor removed for showing class meme video. As the semester comes to a close, University of Massachusetts Amherst remains quiet about the status of professor put on leave for showing a satirical Hitler video in class. Veteran professor Catherine West Lowry, or CAT, as she is known by most students, has taught For 10 years, Larry has traditionally offered extra credit for students who submit satirical videos at the end of each semester. The extra credit videos are intended to be humorous and students vote on their favor. However, this past semester, some students took offense with two videos in particular. One of the videos is a question was a parody clip unloaded to YouTube in 2009 by a former student of highly parodied scene from Downfall, a 2004 film depicting the fall of Nazi Germany and the end of Adolf Hitler's reign. Another included a parody version of the song, Bust Down Thotiana, which I don't know what that is, which seemed deemed to be offensive, demeaning to women. After anonymous complaints were made about the video, the university removed Lowry from her teaching duties for the remainder of the fall semester. According to Daily Collegian, around 80 students reportedly stood up and left the 400-person class upon learning that Lowry had been placed on leave. Senior lecturer Catherine Lowry will not teach, da-da-da. Ed Bogoski said in a statement. This has been pretty traumatic for me because I've spent two and a half decades building a career of connecting to students. This is my career. This is my life. The decision was made by Innsbruck School of Management after it concluded the objectivity offensive material had been presented to students. Now let's break that down for a second. These are the same students that want a BDS. Yeah, interesting. Fake news. NYU journalism professor discourages Farrier, Trump coverage new york state university journalism professor outlined in a recent tweet, starting point for covering donald trump's presidency he doesn't know anything he doesn't care to learn he has no policy views nothing he says can be trusted he's not good at anything a president has to do his model of leadership is humiliating others these should be six starting points for covering his presidency Dan Gaynor, Vice President of Business and Culture and Media Research. Rosen is a perfect model of what academic journalism has become. He doesn't even hide that he's a leftist and it tilts everything he does. And that's true. That's our media, whether Chuck Todd wants to admit it or not. UCLA professor, we need to seriously question the ideal of private home ownership. Sweet Jesus. Con Goh, assistant professor of urban planning at UCLA, whose expertise includes urban ecological design, whatever the fuck that is, spatial politics, <laughs> Jesus, that's the shade stuff, there's no shade where brown people are, it's racist, and social mobilization in the issue issues of climate change and global urbanization, arguing an op-ed for the na- nation that what makes California forest fires even worse is urban planning. Its subtitle reads, If you want to keep cities safe in the face of climate change, we need to seriously question the ideal of private ownership. Yes, climate change intensifies the fires, but the way in which we plan and develop our cities make them even more destructive. The growth of urban regions in the second half of the 20th century has been dominated by economic development, aspirations of ownership, and belief in the importance of private property. Hmm, shouldn't have private property. That'd be horrible. Goa compared two ideas of thought, the American tradition of private property ownership, and the collective property theories. There we go, socialism! She's suggesting the cause of the issue is private ownership and advocate for more collective cities. Some examples she cited for public housing were put in practice by Omar, AOC, and Sanders. Another solution would be cooperative housing and community land trusts. She argues that public housing would put more power into the federal government as opposed to the Jeffersonian agrarian idea. The Jeffersonian agrarian idea, cheap energy and individual property have created the scorching landscapes. Landscapes we see today. The ideals of the American dream that have been instilled for more than 150 million years will be difficult to dispel. Those ideals have blinded us to the uh, other possibilities. We need other kind of escape routes away from our ideologies and ownership of property and toward more collective, healthy, and just cities. But I'm sure in the past, she also said that it was racist not to give everybody who's a person of color a home loan. And Mae and Freddie Mac. And that's what got us the housing crisis. Everybody got loans. Collective housing. Yeah, that works really good. Cabrini Green come to mind. Ghettos that black people bitch about all the time. Because they are ghettos. Not black people, but black leaders.
13: Yeah. Hmm.
2: MSU student government. And on the same lines of This has something to do with climate change. We just don't know where. Ban cafeteria votes to ban cafeteria trays in an attempt to make dining at MSU more eco-friendly. Trays. I guess you're just going to juggle your food as you eat it. Trays in the dining hall will not be an available option unless specifically requested once entering the cafeteria. According to the Associated Students of Michigan State University, Bill 5630, doing away with trays, will decrease food waste, energy waste, and water usage. The bill states that the MSU prides itself on sustainability, but lacks the key policy. Now, going in line with you shouldn't build on a house, because we should be collective, listen to the other things they want to tell you what to do, include what to eat and how much to eat. Here's the actual thing, I to download it. Whereas the use of trays in the dining hall across Michigan State University encourages excessive food waste, water, and energy use. Whereas a recent survey showed that almost 75% of the largest 300 colleges and universities university have implemented trayless dining with MSU has not implemented the policy. Whereas MSU produced an estimate of 535,000 pounds of food waste in the fall semester alone. Nobody can actually verify that statistic. Food waste costs higher est- estimates for students' food consumption, raising the cost of meal plans and dining passes. Whereas reducing tray usage would improve the health of students. UMSU prides itself sustainability and being a green campus. uses last as key policy to promote a greener future. They will f- they will put this into effect twenty twenty. Trays will be available, but you'll have to fucking ask for it, only because of ADA requirements. The bill further aims to help students shape their diet, stating reducing tray usage and improve the health of students by encouraging conscious for- portion size. The resolution was introduced by College of Agriculture and Natural Resources Representative Joss Grinling. During the debate, Christie cited the advantage of removing trays for fall 2020 semester, so the transition would aid because incoming freshmen have not experienced the cafeteria trays. Well, they'll never know there was a tray because i have never eaten in a cafeteria before. Okay, that's a good reason to pass a bill. Junior Logan Coles disapproved of the bill, telling the Morning Watch, eating healthy is an important proponent to my life. When eating in the dining halls, trays are helpful and allowing me to meet my needs because I need to put the food on something. It shouldn't be banned. I took a class this semester learning about our carbon footprint, which leads to global warming. Something simple like this could make a huge impact, somebody else said. Prince is a junior studying special education. Uh, ASMSU has passed measures pushing sustainability in previous sessions, one which targeted trays. Bill 5586 was passed during the 55th session, citing the trays which generate unnecessary water waste and leads to additional food waste. I'm not reading any more of this. Jesus fucking Christ. This is the stupidest fucking shit I've ever heard. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's not. Because now we're going into gay shit. This is probably the stupidest. Listen to the parents. This, this goes back to why Glad only interviews people that are down with their bullshit. Because, of course, these parents would approve of this stupidity. A, 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 Bow.
9: Little pump in the cut.
6: Hey, gang shit, 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 gang shit,
26: gang shit, gang shit, gang shit. My pregnancy with Rosie was a typical pregnancy. So they held her up in the air and I briefly saw her and I thought, oh. They told us that was a girl, but she's a boy.
20: pediatric urologist said that he wanted to do a clitoral reduction surgery and a surgery to create a vaginal opening and he wanted to do this at six months old and uh there was no medically necessary reason to do it it was purely cosmetic so we were both very angry doesn't need to have any surgery, there's no medically necessary reason to have a surgery and we can just let her decide if she ever wants a cosmetic genital surgery. She can choose that for herself and she can pick whatever it is that she wants to do to her own body at that point.
26: Initially, we were told not to tell anybody that Rosie was intersex. In an effort to protect her privacy, we were creating shame and stigma, which was exactly the thing that the privacy was supposed to prevent. And so we decided that, you know, out of a, out of joy and love for our child and we we're proud of her and, and out of wanting to, you know, continue our family's message of body positivity that we weren't gonna be secret anymore.
20: This is who Rosie is. This is how she was born. We made a decision to be out with Rosie and now um, we are and we've never regretted that decision.
2: The article from CNN that came with that shitty-ass soundbite. She's seven, was born Intersect. Why are parents elected to let her grow up with without surgical intervention? Now, you can argue this two ways. Only a parent that's down with the cause would do this kind of stuff. But secondly, you can also argue, then why are you guys pushing that we should uh, sterilize our kids at three? Anybody out there? Does that make any sense to anybody? I mean, seriously. You're saying on one hand, we'll wait for her to decide what sex she wants to be when she's older. And on the other hand, you are a transphobic piece of fucking shit unless you sterilize your kid and let them dress like a girl at three. Yeah. Court cases. We got court cases. Seriously. But this is, this is social media this is how we roll everything here's a youtube and i'm not doing the whole five minutes why it's important for you to do your content on youtube inclusive and none of these stats are proven they just say them because they're liberals
19: YouTube's mission is to give everyone a voice and show them the world. If you're looking for ways to make your content more inclusive and appeal to a broader audience, then you are watching the right video. We're gonna cover tips on how your YouTube channel can foster greater inclusion and show you how your channel can be a force for good. Hi, I'm Dr. Natoki Ford, founder and CEO of Flyside Enterprise, an education and media consulting firm focused on leveraging the power of storytelling to promote social change. I've partnered with YouTube to develop tools that build awareness about the importance of diverse representation and help empower creators to produce more inclusive videos. What I'll dive into today comes from research from leading institutions as well as feedback we collected from quite a few top YouTube creators and partner organizations. Before we jump in, it's important to talk about the difference between diversity and inclusion. Diversity means different voices can be represented, but inclusion means all those different voices are actually being heard. It's presence versus power. Another way to think about the distinction is that diversity is inviting different people to a party while inclusion is actually asking everyone to dance. So let's talk about the opportunity here. On-screen representation in media is improving, but it's not fully reflecting the diversity of the world. Are you ready for some stats? In the US, women are 51% of the population, but only 40% of television broadcast leads. Multicultural people comprise 39% of the population, but just 22% of broadcast leads. Here's another one. 20% of Americans between the ages of 18 to 34 identify as LGBTQ+, while they only represent 9% of primetime regulars. And one more. 13% of Americans have a disability, but only 2% are actually seen as primetime regulars on TV. But YouTube is different. Unlike traditional media, YouTube provides a forum for user-generated videos. Therefore, you, as a creator, have the opportunity to help address representation gaps. So why should you care? YouTube videos are highly consumed and tremendously powerful. It's actually the most widely used online platform for U.S. adults and teens, and 41% of YouTube users are multicultural. Like other media, YouTube videos reflect and shape culture and can influence the public's perceptions of certain subjects, careers, and marginalized people. All media can either reinforce biases and stereotypes Or it can be a tool to help counter-stereotypes and reduce biases. Increasing diversity in media is not only good for society, it's also good for business. In film, a more diverse cast can boost gross revenue. At every budget level, a film that has at least a 30% non-white cast outperforms less diverse films in the opening weekend at the box office.
2: Article that accompanies that fucking intersectionality word salad. Still, to keep up the left's update, meaning of various Bubb's word, Ford notes that multicultural per- people comprise 39% of the population, but just 22% on broadcast leads. The YouTube Inclusion Driver infographic used this same multicultural term as well, which roughly translates to what appears to be non-white or persons of color. Ford followed that by claiming that 20% of America between the age of 18 and 35 identify as LGBTQ, while they only represent 9% of primetime regulars, gather data she got from GLAD and Harris Poll's Accelerating Acceptance Study. In short, the figure suggests that about 1 in 5 Americans between the age of, 13 of uh, 18 and 34 are gay. But we know it's 5.4%. 5. 5.4. 5. But this is how they get America to believe it's twenty four percent gay because they keep lying with these statistics and just coming out i mean it's just bullshit it's totally bullshit then you got nbc for transgender men pain of menstruation is more than just physical Khloe Atkins reports, Jennifer Weiss-Wolf, founder of Period Equality, which advocates for affordable and accessible menstruation products, said anyone who menstruates needs to be part of the discussion and decision-makers about their own health and well-being. He hurdles from trans men and gender non-conforming people who menstruate, say, the face, include the high cost of period supplies, lack of access to products, safety concerns, and inadequate Medicare. Wait, the high cost of period supplies? Atkins continues, a box of tampons, which could easily be used within one menstrual period, could cost as much as $12. That's significantly more than the federal minimum wage of seven twenty-five. Additionally, menstrual hygiene products sold in the U.S. are still subject to sales tax. It's funny that the only thing liberals don't want to tax is tampons. So-called tampon justice. <laughs> He's out of the race. <laughs> Somebody said, does it count that I laugh so hard I got a crap? cramp yeah uh, i think it does then of course because of we reported last time about abortion we're moving on teen vogue came out and did a whole story shout your fucking abortion abnormal uh, abortion is normal abortion is common abortion is one of the many reproductive outcomes that nearly one in four women as well as trans men and other nine binary people will experience really Trans men are having abortions. That means they're not a man. These are some of the tweets that were on it. I'm terrified by the senators asked the Supreme Court to consider Roe. I got to join. I got to join 39 other people in telling our abortion stories, one for each senator, compiled by the credible D. Camp Amor for Teen Vogue. Don't tread on me, baby. Oh, really? Normal. I'm a grown woman, I've had abortions and I'm pissed that I was lied to and manipulated by culture that embraces this kind of hideous human rights abuse. Abortion is the extermination of a human child, it's a horrible thing you can never take back. Despicable bias brainwashing of young girls into supporting the dismembering and poisoning of unborn babies, no attempt made at balance, this truly demonstrates the delusion, ignorance of the reality of abortion for many pro-choicers. So I'm not going to read all 39, but here are some of them. Dara. I had a surgical abortion two years ago. I guess what stands out about my experience is just how normal getting an abortion could be. How the procedure, frankly, felt less invasive than the standard GEICO visit. I actually had a laugh with some nurses. I learned a lot about my body. I ate ice cream. Veronica19. When I was 17, I found out I was pregnant. I knew immediately that I needed to have an abortion. i just gotten into college was ready to change cities and start working towards a career in electrical engineering. I knew I definitely wasn't ready to start a family. This was a very big inconvenience to me, so I killed a baby. Oh, wait a minute. That's me adding in. But in my state, the law said I need my parents' permission. My father is religious and conservative, and I knew I couldn't talk to him about it. I feared that would happen, happened, and told my mom I got pregnant and wanted an abortion. We weren't close, and I was scared she would kick me out. The law was forcing this decision for me. I cried because I knew I needed to get an abortion, but I didn't know how. I reached out to a nonprofit, Jane's Due Process, which helps minors kill their babies through a judicial bypass. It walked me through many steps I needed to get through before appearing before a judge, including getting a sonogram, working with my lawyer to compile evidence of my maturity and why I wanted abortion. I was required by law to prove I was mature enough to make the decision. The judge got to decide my entire future before I was able to make my decision on my own. It felt so out of control. Ultimately, the judge ruled in my favor, but I had an ideal with the cost of travel. Barriers are harder for young people, especially teenagers, to overcome. In some places, you have to wait for weeks and drive for hours to get an appointment at the nearest clinic. La la la, it's so hard to kill a baby. It should be just like going to McDonald's and buying fries. None of these are anti-abortion. Just know that ahead of time. Kenya, 44. I was 39. I found out I was pregnant without hesitation. My partner and I knew... We need abortion. On the day of appointment, I woke up, felt great. And sure, my decision, I ride the clinic, checked in and started completing the acquired forms. All of a sudden, the most excruciating pain hit me. <clears throat> and then I had to go get it. And she had to go to a hospital. And she needed to go across town. And she had to get there because she was bleeding internally. And this is written like the DNC and everything was great. But that's why there's law that you got to be within 30 miles, you fucking Chia Pets. Surprised I put that one in. Jenna, 41. I was 19. One day I realized I had my period in months. Just all of a sudden I noticed it. I recently moved to New City and it was on the pill, so I hadn't noticed the change. I took the pregnancy test and before the pee had dried. I was looking up at an abortion clinic. It was not a difficult decision. I did not feel conflict or strife. My grandmother was young when I was born. And I knew I didn't want to continue the generational legacy of young parenthood. The moment it happened, it wasn't even about that. I just knew I didn't want to, and I couldn't be pregnant. My second abortion was when I was 29. I had a much-wanted one-year-old child and was pregnant with a second, which was also very much wanted. My husband and I were happy and stable, and we are enjoying growing our family. I went for a routine prenatal exam with my pajama-clad toddler in tow. I was not expecting any news, so I didn't have my husband with me, and the nurse practitioner began the ultrasound. I coupled my kid and waited to see a new sibling the first time after some poking and prodding. They gave me sad news. The pregnancy had ended. I had a DNC the next day. I had to wait for procedure because of laws in the state that require a waiting period. Even though my pregnancy was over, the law still governed my uterus. This is bullshit. But I still have to tell you this. The procedure was uneventful. Once again, recovery was easy. I became pregnant two weeks later with my second son. That's not an abortion. That's a miscarriage. They do DNCs. But let's not talk about facts. Tara 26... As I sat hearing the echo voices of protesters strangely began to crave a plate of glorious southern comfort food to soothe the stress and anxiety that filled me. I knew that the people who sat beside this tiny clinic in North Carolina with me deserved so much better. I sat in a small waiting room with 30 people in hospital gowns who made me feel afraid and ashamed by the state's anti-choice laws. Oh, we wrote this for propaganda. Two rounds of counseling, a long wait period, 17 year waiting period forced upon us. were used to procedure, shame, and doubt. The clinic was small, with no signs or identifying characteristics until you counted the groups of protesters hollering outside. Even nurse, every nurse, tried their best to console the sickest patient, the ones that cried, the ones that vomited. Many of the nurses were tired, volunteers. They didn't wear name tags because working at a clinic could threaten their careers in this state. I watched folks wearing the faded hospital gowns with pride and wondered but felt a tinge of guilt. I myself clenched my stomach and pondered for a second if I was making a mistake. The pro- Protesters, the long wait, the counseling sessions, the anonymous nurses, the anti-choice rhetoric that filled countless billboards in my state. It was all ending up in my head. Everything around me was telling me I should not be in that room, yet there I was. After my procedure, I found myself in a popular North Carolina restaurant eating glorious mashed potatoes, a comfort food the South that perfected for moments like this. And as I ate my potatoes, I realized I had no, no regret about my abortion. I made a decision for myself. That was my right life. Yes, yes, yes. Potatoes. Mashed potatoes were made for abortions. And maybe those billboards are there to make you think you're killing a human life because you are a selfish person. So selfish you couldn't use birth control. Mickey 43, the day I found out I was pregnant, it was six days after my mother had died in my arms from cancer. At the time I was unhealthy to an extreme, both mentally and physically. I would spent the last year caretaking for my mother. I was at all the chemo sessions and all the doctor visits. This was 16 years ago. I was 27 years old. I look back at my time in life and I've used, I have so many mixed emotions. I wish I'd never started using drugs. I wish I'd been a better daughter to my mother. I wish I'd not moved. Maybe she'd be alive. But I was a better person. Despite all the feelings of regret, the one decision I've never regretted was killing my baby. In the 16 years that have passed, I've tried to forgive myself for my previous failures. I've also used my past to drive my future. I cannot change the past without these experiences I went through. I wouldn't be alive, let alone be a restaurant or a homeowner. I have confidence in myself because I killed a baby. She ends with access to safe abortion. Saved my life.
27: Jesus.
2: Maria, 30. After having my first child asked myself, how can a woman who has brought life in the world have an abortion? But I never thought I'd find myself seven weeks pregnant, almost three years, with a three-year-old and a nine-month-old. was a surprise to see the positive test. The initial shock was happy one. Then I started thinking how I struggled mentally in my second pregnancy. And da-da-da-da-da. I cried all morning. I cried during the walk-in as we walked past those awful Christian protesters with their skewed signs depicting 20-week fetus thrown in dumpsters tied up in garbage bags. For the record, at seven weeks, my embryo was barely a blob of cells. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I cried while filling out the paperwork. I cried while waiting for the ultrasound while talking to the counselor. I wouldn't change what I did. I wouldn't be the mom I am today, caring for my now two toddlers, sacrificing any social life and almost all self-care that is suggested to me. I give everything I am to children and my husband, and I don't have any regrets in making the decision to take care of my family and myself. Which she put backwards, but it's really in the front. Those awful Christians... Barbara, 58, I had two abortions in New Jersey. Each time I was about five weeks pregnant, according to the doctor, I knew instantly as soon as I discovered I was pregnant that I wanted an abortion. There was no question. I wanted nothing to do with fathers of the babies, both of whom I had dated and had raped me. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it is. Moving on. Nancy, 49, I was a college student 94 when I had my abortion. I was the right choice for me because I was single and it was unplanned pregnancy. I assumed getting my abortion would be a simple doctor's visit but i was wrong in the state of ohio but could before i could have my legal abortion i had to listen to the pros and cons of abortion and childbirth via the phone talk to a biased counselor who struck me as anti-choice pick up a brochure sponsored by the state a fetal development had to wait an additional 24 hours before i could procedure the legal hoops i had to jump through to get my legal abortion were meant to dissuade me but instead it just made me more determined to kill a baby And I had my abortion scheduled. I was relieved because it was the first time I really started to take charge of my sexual health and really because became aware of how restrictive state abortion policies can affect ordinary women like me. This experience began my interest in pro-choice politics and led me to become a clinic escort so other women wouldn't have to face what I did. My sexual health, it should start with birth control. I mean, the abortion... Ruling went up during a time that we didn't get, there was a religious stigma on birth control. So not everybody could have birth control. Not everybody could afford birth control. It was in its infancies. Now you have 85 forms of birth control, but your selfish ass can't figure out how to use it. Aaron, 45. I have had four abortions. I never used to talk about them to anyone. I had fill out the information sheet at the doctor where they asked how my how many pregnancies I would always lie. Even staunchy pro-choice friends made incredible judgmental remarks about people having more than one abortion. When I began working with Shout Your Abortion, a friend told me maybe I should lie and say I only had two because I'd be hurting my own cause otherwise. I thought I was definitely the only one who had so many abortions. I was scared of the other people's reactions. I didn't feel strong enough to deal with them. I also didn't know how I actually felt about my own abortions. When your society is steeped in stigma, shame and dishonesty, it challenges to find your real thought. Telling the truth works Stigma and shame. No, 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 no. That's not how it works in our society. You're a hero. You're getting fucking shout-your-abortion websites and Vogue is tearing your article. There are no articles on Jesus fucking Christ. Why is your slut fucking ass getting pregnant four times and not using birth control? There should be that. Yeah, I called her a slut. You're a slut. You're an irresponsible slut who spreads her legs without the consequences. You just go into your carnal desire to get fucked. When men do it, we call them pieces of shit. You're a piece of shit, just like a man, or. Because you don't even think that, oh, getting pregnant, the whole pregnancy thing, ah, I'm too busy getting off. Last one, Alina, 28. Took a test in Starbucks bathroom. I was 17, scared to shame, but mostly just pregnant. I knew I wanted abortion before I even talked to my boyfriend. Beyond the practical reason for not having a baby, I just don't want to become a parent. For this pregnancy, I chose the medical abortion, abortion pill and terminated the pregnancy while hanging out with my boyfriend's mom. See? Probably got it from Planned Parenthood. You and I paid for it. She rubbed my back while I puked, then brought me apples and peanut butter, like a child myself. My second abortion was secret i only told two people i was pregnant and with uh, those people i it was never discussed i had a surgical abortion a clinic i went to work managing a mayoral campaign immediately after i'm sure it's a democratic one i didn't want my boss to think i was taking time off during the campaign season or what one of my type of women who need an abortion i'm glad to know now that we all have abortions and we're fine i didn't find out i was pregnant for the third time until about two months ago i was drink or two months in I was drinking one or two bottles of wine each night, so the morning sickness felt like another in a long strife of increasingly bad hangovers. I wasn't sure what I wanted to have the abortion, in part because I felt like I didn't deserve another. Maybe this time I thought I should just have the kid. I'm glad I didn't, because it would have still be two more years before I was sober and living the kind of life I wanted. Recently, my doctor explained that I ovulate while on hormonal birth control, which is why I keep getting pregnant. Abortion is freedom. I am happy, whole, and alive, because I killed fucking three babies because I'm a whore it's called a rubber ever heard of that yeah let's go to everything's racist
6: everything is racist everything is racist
19: according
2: I gotta admit, I don't know a lot about this Meghan-Merkel split, but CNN was on the case. Racism is to blame. Lisa Resper's France argued that Britons, if you've got a hyphen name, you're a dick- douchebag, have been sending a message to Meghan-Merkel since the day she announced her engagement with Harry. You aren't one of us, and you aren't welcome. Now that Meghan-Merkel has announced her exit, Resper France claims that Britons have changed their question about her from, why are you here, to where do you think you're going? Kenda Andrew, an associate professor of sociology at Birmingham City University said that Merkel's exit was partially inedible. It was never going to end well. The British royal family is one of the premier symbols of whiteness in the world. She was never going to be fully accepted. Likewise, Nelson Burton, a professor at Emory University in Atlanta, said the criticism of Merkel's exit, which has now taken on a life of its own under the hashtag MegExit, reinforces the stereotypes of black women being destructive, divisive, and unsatisfied, people are cool with black women as long as we go along to get along. She said, "As soon as we start standing up for ourselves and saying this is not working for me, we become the problem."
5: Yeah, I'm not right anymore.
2: Oh wait, here's CNN. Yet here is Meghan exhibiting the audacity and being pushed forward by white men who happen to be her husband. The sight of Prince Harry and Meghan Merkel splitting off, especially triggers people according to Eubanks, because it places a white prince of royal blood and a black American commoner on equal footing. That site doesn't sit well with everyone due to how they've been conditioned to view women of color. Yeah, that's exactly it. Students who called cops in napping while black incident wants police body cam footage to prove she's not a racist. A Yale University student called the cops on a student in her dorm and became the subject of harassment after the story was ported as napping while black says racism was not what motivated her. The College Fix reported that Sarah Brosh, a philosophy graduate student at the school, had earlier called police on a student who was black, who she believed was not authorized to be in her dormitory building, after which she said was subject to a small amount of harassment in her dorm building. Brash then had a conversation with another black student, Lolata Symbiana, in a common room in the dorm and became convinced that Symbiala was one of the students who was harassing her because anybody with that name you know is just ignorant on this subject. The Freedom of Information Act requested the fix, revealed, revealed, revealed a post hearing brief that said the purpose of the encounter was due to Brash becoming concerned that the sleeping person was among those who had been harassing her. The brief also said Brash unrefuted testimony shows she did not call with the purpose of having Mrs. Symbiana arrested or criminally charged. The incident occurred last May and Brash received harassment on a national level thanks to racial activism. Brash harassers even demanded she be criminally charged. For her part, Symbiata used her newfound victim platform to demand along with other Yale students that Brash be expelled. Campus officials publicly condemned the incident. She received death threats. Eventually, she fled campus and has not returned, continuing her education from an unnamed southwestern state. The Fix reported, Brash emailed The Fix on Tuesday, saying she's now seeking to release the body cam footage from the incident, which she says will clear her name after being called a racist. I feel strongly that the footage, which I will immediately release to public, reveals that Yale administration and police told disgusting lies about me. And of course they had to, because... Remember the black students getting butt hurt over an email? About Halloween? Do you remember that? Yeah. The fight to redefine racism... And how to be an anti-racist, Ibrahim, Ibrahim, whatever the fuck, X Kendi argues that we should think of racist not as a prerogative, but as a simple, widely encompassing term of description for everybody who's white. Most white people in America are not liberals, of course, and so the campaign against racism is often taking the form of intra-white conflict. One of the most prominent combatants is Robert Robin D'Angelo, a white workplace diversity trainer. Available to help organizations teach their employees to be more sensitive to race. Last year, DeAngelo published White Fragility. Why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism. A reflection on her career and her cause. White identity is inherently racist, she writes. I strive to be less white. She cites Kendi as an authority, even if she sometimes seems closer to the spirit of Ibram Rogers, the undergraduate. But then Kenny himself is in an entrusted mood. His new work presents itself as a how-to book, although it's a little more than 200 absorbing pages, and also a manifesto and from time to time a memoir. It's titled, How to be Anti-Racist. And in it, Kenny explains how he became one, which means explaining how he used to be, as he currently sees it, a racist. Kendi is convinced that racism can be objectively identified and therefore fought and one day vanquished. He argues that we should stop thinking of racist as a prerogative and start thinking of it as a simple description so that, I'm sorry, pejorative. I'm saying it totally wrong. Pejorative. I just caught what I was reading. One either endorses the idea of racial hierarchy as a racist or racial equality as an anti-racist. Adding that it's It isn't possible to be simply not racist. He thinks that all of us must choose a side, in fact. He thinks that we are already choosing all the time. The modern battle against racism, as many people have observed, is driven by the kind of sacred fervor and it's how to be anti-racist. Kenneth Kendi makes this link explicit. I cannot disconnect my parents' religious strivings to be Christian from my secular strivings to be anti-racist. So Christians are all racist now. Indeed, uh, it means black Christians too. Indeed, Christianity and anti-racism were intr- intrinsically connected for his parents, they were inspired by Tom Skinner, a fiery black evangelist who preached the gospel of Jesus Christ the Radical, and James H. Cohn, one of the originators of black liberation theology. Kendi's parent taught him black pride, and he took these lessons seriously. As Kendi tells it, his parents' belief in black pride led them to embrace black self-reliance, a doctrine that urged black people to overcome the legacy of racism by working hard and doing well. Hmm. I'm not going to read anymore. This goes on forever. And basically at the end is pretty much saying, everybody's a racist. So we, all right, as white people just need to accept you're a racist. One of the verses... As most people know, African Americans are greatly overrepresented among both victims and perpetrators of violent crimes in America. Indeed, this fact provides stark evidence of the country's stubborn racial inequality. But Kennedy's approach disavows, disallows talk of criminality as a particular problem in black neighborhoods. He suggests that white neighborhoods have their own dangers, including crooked bankers that might steal your life savings and suburban traffic accidents. He even insists that there are a disproportionate number of white males who engage in mass shootings. Although mass shootings account for a tiny percentage of gun deaths and white people are not disproportionately likely to commit them, by the end of the section, the bully named Smurf seems like a real person and more like a specter. The personification of old racist ideas comes to life in the imagination of fretful future scholars and queens. Liberal sports media slams NFL. Whiteness still major issue in the country. Roland Martin and Stephen A. are both in on this. And this is all about the hiring of coaches. We covered some. Folks, here's the reality, Roland Martin says. This boils down to whites. Whites. This boils down to 32 owners. Only one of the NFL owners isn't white. That's the owner of Jacksonville Jaguars. What you're seeing with this issue of whiteness in the NFL can be applied to corporate America. It applies to the folks who are on the boards of directors. The reality is that whiteness is still a major issue in the country. We need to stop being white, I guess. Um, Martin called for prominent African-American lawyers to take the NFL to court, have dispositions, have discovery to find out what is going on. If you think the NFL settled Colin Kaepernick, Imagine what could be uncovered if they start asking questions about black folks to get true opportunities at head coaches and general managers the team president. That, folks, is what is needed and why we need to stop running around wearing NFL shirts and jackets. Martin railed about Judge, the coach of poor receiving cords at New England, getting a head coaching job with Eric Benanemi, the African-American offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chief, not getting it. Stephen A., also took an aim at judge. We're talking about a wide receiver coach who had never even been a coordinator. We got a problem. Foxworks continued. I think that's important because the problem that I think they are, like raging racists and know there's no way I can have a white or black person run my team and be the head coach, I don't think that's their conscious thought. Further, Foxmore said, it's your bias, your unconscious personal bias. And if you have to write down your decisions you can't put down, I had feeling that and look in the mirror and who they have an obligation, responsibility to. They can't then look at us and say, yeah, I hired this guy to run my multi-million dollar industry because I had a good feeling about him. Max Kellerman, who does all his fucking virtue signaling every day, stooped to the ridiculous claiming he knows what this is really about. It's slavery, it's reconstitution, it's Jim Crow. We know what this is. Okay. Time for liberal shit. Come on down! You're the next contestant on Liberal Shit! This sums up my Liberal Shit segment. I can actually close the show after this. Because this is the craziest shit ever. Goop is now peddling a vagina scented candle for $75. And it's sold out within hours. Gwyneth Paltrow, Alternative Wellness Company, is currently selling a candle called This Smells Like My Vagina. According to Goop website, the candle had notes of gergani- ger- geranium, sorry, kutsri, co- beggarmont, and cedar, and should have put a vibe of fantasy, seduction, and sophisticated warmth into the minds of those who smell it. Known for its vagina themed antics like vaginal jade eggs, Doctors strongly recommend against the company, has received criticism in the past, for making false health claims about its products and spreading general medical disinformation. Thankfully, this smells like my vagina it doesn't have any direct negative health consequences, but critics say it doesn't smell like a vagina. But well, what does a vagina smell like? I think it's kind of like flowers. They all have their own scent. Last time I checked, I mean, just throw it out there. But why would you burn a candle that smells like vagina? What the fuck? Lauren Chen brings us our next one. This pretty much sums up why (sighs) Captain Marvel's so fucked up. She literally seems like she came out of a random social justice activist character generator. Meet the writer of highly anticipated Captain Marvel 2 movie. A, she's an ugly hit bag with a 50s glasses on. Kelly Sue was also a prominent figurehead in the Gamergate and the less heard of Comicgate movement, who worked tirelessly alongside Anita Sarkeesian to eradicate toxic masculinity from a male-dominated video game and comic book culture. So she's the one. She may not be a seasoned screenwriter, but when she lacks his experience, she makes up for her impassion. Kelly is a champion for women's rights. She embodies Captain Marvel and an acquaintance of the writer told us. Meet the Captain Marvel writer. She is a alter feminist, never Trump, -er, pro-Iranian and Islam activist. And that says it all. Mm Mm-hmm article! Apparently Disney and Marvel's next installment comic book movie series Captain Marvel promised to be even more woke than the first outing, and it seems impossible just to know that the newly announced writer is an uber-feminist, pro-Iranian, in addition to being rabidly anti-Trump. Talk about agenda-driven and edgy. According to pop culture blog site Sausage Roll, the sequel to the movie about everyone's favorite super-powered female, sorry Wonder Woman, corporate doesn't think you're woke enough, is being written by a woman who is passionate about women's reproductive rights and regressive radical Islamic regimes. Well, those go hand-in-hand, don't they? The site described Captain Marvel writer Kelly Sue McConnick as an uber-feminist, never-Trumper, pro-Iranian, and Islam activist, um, but don't worry, she knows comic books. The outlet described Denonic as an avid comic book reader, massive nerd, and passionate geek. She also overwhelmingly passionate about the film's message, considering one of her passion involves retweeting laments about the plight of Iranians during the recent Trump standoff with Iran, or that of Iranian illegals being detained at the U.S. border. She lied about that. Still for woke Marvel, which is pushing to have its first transgender character in an upcoming movie, it's these kind of left-wing viewpoints that earn one, the Captain Marvel gig. Isn't that true? <laughs> then we have 1917, which I really want to see I'm going to wait for the download, but it's a single camera. Very interesting about war. Yeah, it's not going to be good. Salon's Matthew Rosa could see the World War One epic 1917 as just an action film. He w- would, but it's got one major flaw that he can't overlook, especially while Donald Trump is president irresponsibly nationalistic. Keep in mind, this is the same site that published a piece on how Hallmark Christmas movies were fascist. Salon 1917 has one major flaw. It's irresponsibly nationalistic. I would recommend 1917 Film UK, but with the caveat that it is merely an action film. To an extent, I'm uncomfortable to recommending a World War One movie that doesn't discuss nationalism, especially when real Donald Trump is president. In his article, 1917 is a movie that perfectly fits Donald Trump's agenda, even though the filmmakers did not intend for that. Now we live in a world where America's on the brink of war with Iran. Oh, really? We're right-wing nationalists in this country are terrorizing racial minorities. Name an incident. In the name of pro-America, incident any examples, please? In which the talk of national borders is used to clair- justify ripping apart families because they don't belong to our nation, which we did in 2012 and you didn't care. Let Lest, lest there be any doubt... That Trumpism is a national ideology. Trump himself appeared before the United Nations in September and declared that the free world must embrace its national foundation and must not attempt to erase them or replace them, he added. Wise leaders always put the good of their own people and their own country first. The future does not belong to globalists. The future belongs to patriots. That's rhetoric-motivated World War One just as much as it drives Trumpism today. When the next Democrat president is elected, will liberals be able to escape into a movie for two hours without thinking about them? Imagine watching a movie about World War I and making it about Trump, somebody said. Yeah. Just think of everything's about Trump. These people are crazy. Casey Newton. Twitter says you'll have the option to receive replies only from people you follow. We covered it, but now this is what's going to be. You'll have global, anybody. Group, only people you follow and mention. Panel, only people you mention in a tweet can reply. Statement, nobody can reply. So going forward, liberals can go, statement, Trump's the devil and he rapes panda bears. You can't say shit back to him because that's just a fact. Tom Brokaw comes in on this subject of social media. Enabling a no context 24-7 rage. That's what he says from the left and right could be a unifying factor, but it's a dividing factor, frankly, and that really troubles me as much as anything. Then it got really weird. Brokaw said, we need a leader who unites people, and he cited Ronald Reagan, and you trashed it. Trashed it. In 1983, pretty simplistic, pretty old-fashioned. I don't think They had much application to what's currently wrong or troubling a lot of people. Nor do I think we really understand the enormous difficulty of a lot of people have in just getting through life because he's lived in this fantasy land for so long. That's what he said about him. Uh. Trump came in on the subject and said, Trump touts importance of social media and face a biased liberal media. And it's true. Without it, he never get a message out. Ever. And remember, liberals... Obama started this. He was the social media president. Everybody else followed suit. You can't get mad that Trump does it better. Fat phobia. Fitness guru slammed for disputing singer's fat accepted shtick. Juice singer Lizzo peppy embrace of herself as a confident obese woman. Maybe a fun, albeit bizarre, pop culture fan in the short term. But one famous weight loss coach reminds us that it might not be so positive in the long term. Lizzo fans and the PC crowd are having none of it. Many are calling former biggest loser host and fitness personality Julian Michaels fat phobic. Mm-hmm. Michaels got real about Lizzo in an interview on Buzzfeed. Show AM to DM, recently providing some sobering perspective for the woman. I love she weighs about four hundred pounds. This Lizzo chick. I love her music hundred percent. I don't know anything about her. I'm sure she's cool, awesome chick. She said um, in a large discussion of health and wellness, the host responded clearly pursuing the body positive narrative. Yeah, and I love that. They're putting image out there that we normally don't get to see of bodies that we don't get to see being celebrated. Then she jumped in. But why are we celebrating her body? Why does it matter? That's what I'm saying. Why aren't we celebrating her music? A fair question, if rather naive. Fat, like just about everything else, is becoming a woke identity, and woe unto those who would point out a health consequences. Michael said, it is going to be awesome when she gets diabetes. It isn't going to get awesome, sorry, when she gets diabetes. I'm just being honest. Uh Uh-oh, Lizzo fans jumped at the opportunity to labor a fat shamer. Many other folks tried to beat the argument with an antidote. Only diabetics I've known were skinnier than me. Sometimes people are just big. Pro-abort, loudmouth, Jamil, Jam- Jamal, that piece of shit, my whole damn thin family has diabetes and high cholesterol and problems with our joints, why is this woman acting like she's an MRI, I'm telling you, tenderloins, get away from that girl, it's gonna hurt you, Impractical Jokers, I'm just telling you. To crazy liberal shit, California considers statewide ban on gas-powered garden tools. If any gas-powered gardening tools, you may be forced to give them up. So now you can't... Uh, listen to that soundbite from the last podcast. You can't take a shower and do your clothes at the same time. you got 55 gallons a day per person. That's it. It's a $500 fine. That's a $1,000 fine if you go over your 55 fucking gallons. Which, once again, is kind of like saying you can only have sex a missionary... Because how many people do I have in my house? Do you actually know? Anyway, this one, at least 60 cities in California have some kind of ban on gas-powered garden tools, but now state legislators are concerned about the impact these tools could have on the environment. According to California Air Resource Board, running a gas-powered lawnmower for an hour produced the same amount of air pollution as a Toyota Camry driving from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. That is bullshit. There are millions more small off-road engines. In California, then there are light-duty passenger cars, according to the board estimate. The board has set a goal of reducing smog by these machines by 80% by 2031. <clears throat> so the 60 cities will become state law. Watch it. Next one, California Democrat reviving House bill that would end most single-family zoning in the state. We read it in the college. Here's a law right down the line. Scott Weiner, not related was shouted down by anti-gentrification advocates on Tuesday as he reintroduced a controversial housing bill that would eliminate single-family home zoning across most of California. Wiener, lead author of Senate Bill 50, has until the end of the month to advance a revamped version to the Senate floor It dies, He said he is cautiously optimistic about the bill's prospects after two previous failed attempts for approval. The measure has been held in committee since spring. The primary objective of SB 50 including increasing density near public transit and in single family neighborhoods, Wiener claims California faces a 3.5 million home shortage, arguing that the pro's laws necessary to address issues like housing affordability, homelessness, and reducing greenhouse gas emissions by making residents less reliant on cars. So now you won't have single homes, you'll have ghettos. In the ghetto the kids! Oh! And his mama cried. Oh, there's my Elvis, sorry. And the Guardian published an open letter from Teen Climate Alarm. I gotta get a bumper for college calamity or climate calamity, don't I? The Guardian published an open letter for Teen Climate Alarmist, Greta Thunberg and twenty other children in advance of the World Economic Foreman Forum. And here's what this little skank said. Uh, Greta Thunberg, we don't want these things done by 2050, 2030, or even 2021. We want this done now, as in right now. It's a new decade. From now on, every day will be crucial. I write with 20 other young activists. These are our demands for the World Economic Forum. And please remember, many of us who have signed this are children. Many of us live under constant threat just for communicating the situation we are in. So do not make up your own quotes or twist our words. Quote, will we actually stay instead? The green tech to replace fossil fuels in America is not ready yet. It's not cheap enough. Only the wealthy left can justify the cost. It's not efficient enough. Gasoline cars are at peak efficiency. We are energy independent with booming fossil fuel workforce. Greta, serious question here. Since when should world leaders feel obligated to accede to super expensive, utterly ridiculous, bad weather preventing demands from a random group of unelected children? Anybody? Anybody out there? anybody. Let me see what her demands were. It wasn't in the fucking article. I'm sure it's just fucking stupid-ass shit. Where's her? she's yelling. Okay, here's the article. In the coming years, America faces an epic showing, and the results will define the country for generations. These are perilous times. Over the last three years, much of what the Guardian holds dear has been threatened. Democracy, civility, truth. The U.S. administration is establishing new norms of behavior. Anger and cruelty disfigure public discourse and lying is commonplace. You can keep your doctor. Truth is being chased away, but with your help, we can continue to put in center stage. It will be defining year and we ask for your help as we prepare for 2020. Rampant disinformation. America's at a turning point. Blah blah fucking blah blah with periods of blah and blah Okay, let me see if I can get the fucking article. That was in front of the article. And here is the article. Okay, the burning of fossil fuels is the biggest driver climber. See young people let down by older people, they're all bad. Da 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 Okay, here goes. Since the Paris Climate Agreement, the world's largest investment banks have provided more than seven hundred billion the fossil fuel companies develop new projects with total investment estimated to be trillions of dollars. Fossil fuel companies argue that the products will be used for many years to come. Subsidies for fossil fuels also remain high, despite a G20 pledge in 2009 to eliminate them. The IMF estimates such subsidies run at 10 million a minute or 5.2 trillion a year. Uh, Mark Carney, a bank, it ought to be every company. America, okay, where is the fucking story? I don't see what she's demanding. We'll tell the tycoons to dismantle the fossil fuel economy. They just keep flipping me into other articles that talk about it for a second but don't What are her demands? We're going to put you on the wall. What are we going to do? Okay. Greta Thunberg is a 17... Okay, fuck it. I'm sure it's more. Stop using fuel. Everybody stop having pets. Don't eat food. Eat grass. Yeah, there it is. Sorry. I I thought it would be more exciting than that. I wanted to hear some more of her fucking fascist talk. You will do this. we will kill you and put you on a wall. To crazy news. This one I never heard, but my wife did. Teens accused of putting porn on I-75 billboard have been charged. Two teens have been charged in connection with a pornographic billboard display along I-75 in October. Auburn Hills Police Department charged a 16-year-old from South Lyon and an 18-year-old from Sterling Heights, said Auburn Police Department Lieutenant Ryan Gagdon. The 16-year-old who was responsible for going into the shed and posting the X-rated video display this week was placed in a juvenile diversion program if he complies with the program he will not face normal charges. Gangnon said the 18-year-old was charged with trespassing in November. Gangnon said Gagnon said uh, they doubled the department was able to identify the two teenagers through anonymous tips. The teen entered the building where the billboard controls were located at 10:49 p.m. and were in the space for about 15 minutes according to police. Police received reports of pornographic videos being displayed on the electronic freeway billboard located on the east side of I-75 South at mile marker 59 about 11 p.m. By the time the officers arrived, the video had been playing for 20 minutes before being turned off, according to Auburn police. The two teens were able to enter the space through a six-foot fence, which had been previously damaged. The shed was unlocked, and they just walked right in and put the shit up. Um, I haven't been able to see videos of what they put up. Um trying to see the pictures if it was actually pornographic or oh Jesus. Here it is. Yeah, there's a girl smoking a cigarette but fucking naked. Hmm. Well, isn't that nice? It's pretty funny if you think about it. Driver possessed by the devil smashes his car into a Spanish church and drives to the pews driver forces Jeep through the door of a church's in son, Nesca, yesterday. Police found him by the altar saying he believed he would only be safe there. Photos inside the San Juan Evangelista church show damaged pews and doors. Women sue Snapchat Tinder after she says photos of sexual assault in North Carolina spread online. That's fucking horrible. New study says dogs. We probably paid for this too, by the way, but this is like a no-brainer. Can count, they count their treats. And have you ever had big dogs? You see them looking to the left and right, like, "Hmm, what did we give? What did he give them?" That ain't fair. It happens. And lastly, before we go to lighter fare, which our first soundbite will be Maverick, Top Gun, the new trailer. Oh, so sexy. In 2019, it's 2019, and people are still using stupid passwords. Here are the worst of the year. Number one, one two three four five six, and then there's up to nine. There are nine other variants of one two three four two three four five six seven five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve. I mean, what the fuck? Qwerty, Qwerty, password and password one. I've seen people use that. That's just stupid. I love you. A bunch of versions of ABC one two three or one two three ABC. Another one with Qwerty, and you just change the numbers. One Q two W three E four R. Admin Qwerty UI up. Lovely, welcome, Princess Dragon, and one two three Q W E. And I'm going to tell you right now, most of those ones they show on the list, those are Google generated. That's why I never do it. If you notice, your Google will suggest passwords auto-generated and a lot on this list are ones that i've seen it's like maybe 14 characters but it's like the first eight characters so note to self don't use google characters we now go to our lighter fare and maverick top gun instructor is one of the finest pilots
22: this program has ever produced.
27: His exploits
5: are legendary. What he has to teach you may very well mean the difference between life
25: and death.
2: Your reputation precedes you.
3: I have to admit I wasn't expecting
27: an invitation back.
2: They're called orders, Maverick.
12: dog fighting
5: two versus one he's got to be kidding <laughs>
2: Okay, this bad boy is long as shit, so I'm going to parse down some of this shit and just go straight. You know, I'm going to have to float it again. I have some stories about the Oregon Duck. I want to cover um, the pilot. I'll do it next show, and we'll go straight into This Is America. This is literally a soundbite of Fox News calling out the media and then a compilation of the media doing PR for Iran. America
13: Don't catch your slipping up no. Don't catch your slipping up no. Look what I'm whipping up no. This is America Don't catch your slipping up no. Don't
10: catch
6: your slipping up no.
5: It's time for the last cell bike Like the media say when they on. are
6: pushing I'm living up With
5: all the stories and
7: this, is this is America in 2019 Funds hey. in my area. my area I got the strap hey. MSNBC was live as Iran was launching rocket attacks against Iraqi bases housing American soldiers. And Tehran Bureau Chief Ali Aruzi, speaking with anchor Chris Matthews, saw fit to report what turned out to be completely bogus Iranian propaganda.
27: This bit I'm, I'm not sure about, but Iran state media is claiming that 30 U.S. soldiers have been killed in this attack.
7: Yes, and Ruzzi offered the caveat that he wasn't sure about it, but then why report it at all? And Chris Matthews said nothing, offered no qualifiers. Imagine if you had a loved one in the military serving on one of those bases and heard this fabricated report designed by the Iranians to scare the American public. And MSNBC repeated this several times.
27: We're also getting unconfirmed reports from state media saying that they have leveled the A.N. al-Assad base in Iraq and they have killed 30 U.S. troops
7: level the entire base i mean come on how do you put that on the air without evidence anchor chris hayes to his credit cautioned viewers about this so-called reporting
10: i just want to be very clear we don't have independent confirmation of that as of as of yet that is a claim being made on iranian state media
7: now, it's not unusual for news outlets to report conflicting death tolls from U.S. adversaries or conflicting claims about civilian casualties after an attack. But why would anyone air this garbage from Tehran's state-controlled media during an attack? That's just beyond me. Iran lied about this just as it lied, including to its own people, in denying that it shot down that passenger jet headed for Ukraine.
27: How do you see the, President Trump's
18: decision to assassinate um, General Kalem Soleimani?
7: Right. That's
10: one of the things like I said that nobody sounds it. like very it's very erratic and from what I've you've probably known this too, what we've heard from the Pentagon that is they gave him options and he took the most extreme option which is the assassination of, of Soleimani. Now that in itself within the world context is an illegal
27: act. Assassinations are illegal, worldwide and domestic. The Trump administration says that he was a terrorist. That right. Six hundred Americans have died because of him.
10: Right, but you have to be considered first to be a terrorist. You have to be
27: considered an enemy combatant. But, but and why now, professor? Why why killing him now? I'm not sure if you're familiar with the wag the dog I am concept, but but please explain that.
15: And let's just be blunt. Trump's decision to kill a senior Iranian military leader is the reason. Iran was on a war footing near its civilian airport. And while Iran's president, Hassan Rouhani, stepped up and rightly accepted that country's fault for the horrible tragedy, Iranian officials also noted that the accident was the result of the human error caused by U.S. adventurism. In other words, that it was ultimately Donald Trump's actions that led to the tragedy that killed those 176 people. And no, Donald Trump, we do not believe your rationale for starting all of this. You've given us no reason to believe you over the last three years, and we just don't. Although the dubiousness of the evidence hasn't stopped this country from going to war before. Joining us now is Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, the former Chief of Staff to Secretary of State Colin Powell. And Colonel Wilkerson, thank you for being here. Um, The tragedy of that airliner, um, uh, you know, going down now and all of those lost lives just compounds what already has been, what seems to be just a senseless um, new round of military adventurism um, by the United States, this time at the hands of Donald Trump.
1: Good afternoon. I'm Katie Turd. It's 11 a.m. out west and 2 p.m. in Washington, where we are asking once again, where is the evidence? Flanked by stern, white military men, the president addressed the world this morning following Iran's attack on military bases housing American soldiers last night. He began not by saying good morning, but by demanding that Iran must not be allowed to have a nuclear weapon. He once again asserted without evidence that Qasem Soleimani was planning an attack on American lives, an imminent attack
27: the minister of defense here in this country just gave a presser a short while ago and he said the next move is up to america what happens next is up to america but the ideology hasn't changed they want to get rid of america from this region it's they all walks of people from all walks of life are saying that there have even been celebrations in some towns hallie celebrating the attack last night there was a wide cross-section of this uh, country that wanted retribution For the death of Qasem Soleimani. I mean, we saw a million people possibly come out into the streets of uh, of Iran uh, uh, for his funeral. There was a stampede in his hometown where 78 people died. So passions were running high and they wanted some sort of revenge for it. But today, I think Iran is feeling victorious and they're waiting Mm. to see what the next move from the United States is. And also, the Ayatollah Khamenei is getting what he wants. He He's paid a very high price in losing his right-hand man, the guy that's, that's, uh, that's visualized all of the strategies he's wanted in this region. But it's also expedited uh, the fact that America seems to be losing a strong foothold here in, uh, in this wider region uh, in, in the Middle East.
9: Let's fact check the $150 billion that went to Iran after the nuclear deal was signed. Well, first of all, Andrea, as you know, and as you were just discussing with your colleagues, this is another series of despicable lies by President Trump. Uh, The fact that three and a half years after taking office, uh, he remains, or three years after taking office, he remains obsessed with President Obama just shows President Trump's extreme weakness and insecurity. The facts about the Iran nuclear deal are that it effectively halted and rolled back Iran's nuclear program. In the years since the signing of the deal in 2015, up until President Trump's unilateral withdrawal, abandoning our allies against the advice of his advisors, there were no Proxy attacks by Iranian proxies on U.S. personnel in Iraq. There were no efforts by Iran to attack our drones in the Persian Gulf or attack shipping. The nuclear program was under control. There were strict uh, verification and inspections. The, everybody, including the American intelligence community, validated that it was being upheld and our forces and our presence in the region was secure.
2: It's fucking disgusting. It's just disgusting. I mean, if you if your politics has pushed you, as I said at the beginning of the show, and I'll say at the end, to do this for Iran, you really need to check yourself. You just gotta check yourself, cause that's, that's fucking horrible. And that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends and send comments about the track to FOPPODCAST at gmail.com. Fop Podcast gmail.com you can get this show on soundcloud Podcast TuneIn radio google play itunes blueberry stitcher and pocket cast remember to check out our facebook page at fop podcast and our twitter page at fop tony reed next podcast we're going to do is the 18th is that correct i've just had it and now I, f- I always forget by the time i talk 17th friday 17 january year of our lord 2020 until then, stay warm and stay safe. Compare it on where you're at with the uh, winter storms here and there. Going to go fishing Thursday, so I'll have some fishing stories to tell. And once again, we'll carry over that interesting story about the Oregon Ducks for next lighter fair. I've carried it for three shows, but it's a good story. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeahs. And as always, folks, thank you for listening to this show, and take care
5: thank you for listening to flyover politic podcast please check out our facebook page at fop podcast and twitter account at fop tony reed remember it's a short
11: ride Makes everyday count
5: i'm the sun and the air i'm a shine you